This is Bars Loaded with Ben and Nick. A strength, powerlifting and performance podcast. Where we hope to share our opinions, help educate and inspire. Tell a few stories, build a community along the way and... Bars Loaded. Hello Ben, how are you? I'm fantastic, thank you Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, happy Monday. Happy Monday indeed. Do you know what, I actually was saying to em this morning i've really over the last few weeks grown to fucking love mondays just because of this podcast dude i love mondays anyway yeah i do too but i've like, just I think the, this is the like, this is just cream cream on top it's a like it's a really nice way to wake up monday morning and go yep i've got x y and z on today but then tonight i know i've got the podcast and it's always a really nice way to go i know Exactly what I'm doing every Monday night from probably like 5.30 till 8.30. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, just talking absolute garbage. Absolute fucking truckloads of bullshit. <laughs> With a little, a few little gems sprinkled in. A few, yeah. Do you, do you plan your Mondays to like, do you try and start the week off any certain way or do you just kind of wake up and let it roll? Dude, I, I'm such a whore for a schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've pretty much on a Sunday afternoon, like when I'm doing like my check-ins and stuff, like part of my checking process is kind of like setting things up for my week as well and be like, you know, if I've got sessions with people, like if I've got, you know, calls with people, whatever it might be or whatever I've got on, like I go through like my journal or diary and like putting the things I've got on mm-hmm. and I just like fill it in each week. But do I'm you like, know? Do you know that it's 2024 and we have a thing called a calendar on your phone that you can use? You don't have to I write put it, it on down. my calendar too. <laughs> but there's something I like. I liken it to like when I'm at courses. If I take handwritten notes, I remember the content more mm-hmm. than if I just like Type it. record it or like write it in my notes on my phone. Mm-hmm. So like I've got all of that in my phone. But I've also, I handwrite it all out. So I've, if I'm out and about and I'm like, fuck, like, what do I have on this afternoon appointment-wise? I can always just pull up my phone and be like, yep, all right, cool. Like, this is where I'm going to be. This is I'm going to be there. This is where I'm at. But, I, yeah, I I love a to-do list and I love a schedule. So, like, on a Sunday night, I'll sit there and go, you know, this is what my week's going to look like. This is what I've got on each day. I write in, like, my training. I write in, like like, reading and research. I put in, like, downtime i put in like time with mav i put in like just how much water i need to drink a day like i i mean we, we've made like the, the old comment here about like being like just a little bit autistic yep a fair and bit I, I don't i don't think this has anything to do with it though <laughs> <laughs> do you have a, a specific training day that you do on mondays so my training days are tuesday thursday saturday sunday okay so you don't train mondays no, Mondays are my kind of day. Like, because training usually takes it out of me quite a bit, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to train and then be coming into this feeling foggy. So I'm like, I will preemptively go. But I mean, even before we started doing this, I was always like, I like my Mondays to kind of be a really nice introduction to my week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it was all like, for example, like, oh, I'm like, cool. Like I had set my alarm for each time each morning i wake up around that time anyway so it's just like as a bail step sort of thing i get up like i have my coffee 
I do a little bit of journaling, like have breakfast, and then like I start the shit that I've got to do for the day. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I've been, obviously, I've been pretty busy and I've, what I've been doing is I've been planning my hardest shit on Mondays. Not necessarily my hardest shit, but like I get as much done on Mondays as possible. Like I'm, I book back to back from the moment I wake up so that when I wake up Tuesday or when I go to bed Monday night, I'm like, oh man, I just kicked Monday in the dick. And then it's kind of like a super nice feeling waking up Tuesday knowing I've done my hardest session of the entire week at 4 a.m. on Monday morning. I did a massive chunk of my check-ins all day Monday. I had business meetings with them, straight into a podcast with you till 8.30. Then I quickly eat dinner, have a shower and go to bed. And I'm like, man, that's a lot of stuff to get done in one day. Then I wake up Tuesday. I'm like, this is like all downhill Easy. from here. Yeah. How are you finding like the four four thirty sessions? Yeah, I really love them. I've been, I was just talking to Em just before about them because she's going to start doing them with me this week. Yeah, uh, just because she can see how productive it makes the rest of my day. Uh, it, I feel like I'm still not completely used to it, uh, energy wise. Like I'm there and I'm doing it, and my sessions aren't. My sessions are getting better every week and I'm, I'm progressing and everything, but I still feel like I'm kind of dragging ass a little bit. I can, and it's really taking it out of me probably a little bit more than it should. Um, but I think, I think it'll probably only take a couple of more weeks and I'll be, I'll be fine and I'll be used to it. I think it's just a change in schedule. My body's not yeah. used to moving around at that time of day but I'm already way happier than I was last week at that time of day. Yeah. Getting out of bed yeah. is easy. I don't, I don't snooze at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm finding it really good and it just sets me up for a really nice day. Nice. And I find as well, just because I train at the gym that I work at, it's made my sessions so much more productive because I don't have to be like work coaching Nick in between sets and that kind of drags out. Not that I that I don't like doing that, but it does start to affect the quality of of my own training sessions. Hundred percent. And I'm not. I'm never going to be the person that just ignores people or tells them to go away. So if someone wants to have a chat about something, I'll I'll do that because one, I want to help. Two, it's my workplace, and that's what I feel like I should do. And three, I'm just not really that much of an asshole to tell someone to go away. But when there's sometimes, yeah. <laughs> when there's no one there, that's not a problem. I literally could just yeah. stick to my rest periods. The, the focus is me and getting that done. And then I can come home and the rest of the day is focused on other people. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so I, I feel like it really sets me up well. How was your weekend? You had a big weekend? I did. I uh, had the pre-script level one intensive uh, all day Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Um, which is really, really good. Um yeah, it was, it was good. <laughs> it was good. If you had to <laughs> yeah. pick, I'm gonna put you on the spot because oh man, I I'm so dirty that I couldn't go. So I'm just gonna live vicariously through you. Yeah. If you had to pick three, the three biggest takeaways from the weekend, what do you think they were? 
I would probably say, and again, like there are a mix of like things I took away, things that were sort of like solidified, things that just kind of like made a bit more sense. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the big takeaways was like really reassuring for me where you've obviously heard Jordan speak, like he is a very intelligent man Mm -hmm. and his vocabulary and his thought process around topics is insane. So good. Um, But I think what was really refreshing for me and this kind of like a little bit of a, you know, on the back for dear old Ben was there wasn't any point where I was like, I don't understand what he's talking about. Yeah. That's a really good takeaway. Like, and again, like, not to, you know, be like, oh, well, fucking he's intelligent. I understood what he said, so I must be intelligent too. But, like, it was really reassuring for me to be able to go, he he, he goes fucking really deep on shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I didn't feel like I was getting left in the dust behind him. I'm like, I felt like I could kind of like keep pace. And I was like, yeah, like, if we zone out, we sort of do this, this, and this. Like, I understand how all these pieces of the puzzle fit together and come into this nice little central thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's massive yeah so that was like a really really nice takeaway for me um, I what think you, as well what do you think is a, what do you think contributes to that like obviously you've done prescript level one so yeah. you, you have a pretty good base understanding of that content but I feel like when Jordan speaks he starts at like prescript level one level and within like six words he's like on a different planet and and it just keeps going from there. So what do you think, think contrib- why, why do you think you could keep up so well? So, if you, so it kind of actually comes back to something he posted about today. So he did like a, a little bit of a Q and A and someone asked him like how he developed such a good vocabulary. Um, and I think like his answer is kind of like writing, reading, presenting, like, all these things that like sort of like help build a, an understanding of vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And because I, I like language as much as I do mm-hmm. and I like, I try and read as often as I can. And I try and learn from like podcasts and other sources, like as frequently as I can, I feel like because the language isn't like, if, if I didn't understand the language, even though I might understand the concepts, it's like how it's being, conveyed and explained i wouldn't understand but because i understand the language and then i also understand the subject matter Mm -hmm. it's like oh cool like i'm not being confused by like big words or complex language like you know um yeah he was talking about like convalent bonds and i'm like i fucking dropped out of science in like year nine school so i'm like i like that was the one part where i was like Oh, like I think I kind of vaguely remember, but then I was like, I've seen 22 Jump Street. I know they talk about that in there. I vaguely remember <laughs> talking about like the diagrams, but this is also where I'm like, I can recall that. I can understand the thingy. I can understand how he's talking about this and how they kind of overlap and make a bit of sense. Yeah. So you could kind of um, bridge, bridge the gap a little bit there. Yeah. So I would say in terms of like, what has made it a little bit easier for me to be able to keep up with that is by, by no stretch of the imagination have I gone anywhere near as deep into that that subject matter as Jordan has. But I think 
like reading a lot, mm-hmm. learning a lot, and presenting and talking about it. Because again, like when I present on a topic, like same subject matter, but how I kind of get to my point chops and changes based on the people that I'm speaking to. Yeah. Um, so I think like, and this is obviously like the, the interesting thing, like as a coach is like, you get a certain point in your career where you go, I've learned a lot about this, but there are all these things around this topic that I don't know enough about. I need to learn those. And then this becomes this, and this becomes this. And then all of a sudden, the level of information that you have access to and the level of information that you can sort of recall and go, oh, well, I read this obscure thing in this book over here and it kind of relates to what we're sort of talking about here. So I can kind of interlude the two together and say it in a way where it's like, I'm talking about something that we're talking about here, but I'm using a a real life experience or something that I've read or something that I've seen or something that someone can relate to in order to convey it. Yep. So I would probably say that that's probably the the contributing factor as far as I can make sense of. Um, As far as like my second biggest takeaway, and this is the thing that I love about courses just in general, is networking Mm -hmm. and how nice it is to sort of like really immerse yourself with coaches who actually care about upskilling. Like I was actually, I was thinking about this early today and I'm like, I like, you know, this is my 13th year. Like obviously you've been in the industry for a while as well. Um, There's so many coaches I know where they're like, oh, well, you know, I've been coaching for eight years. And it's like, yeah, you haven't done any upskilling though. You literally had did your cert for, and that's it. Like, yeah, you've trained and there's a lot of learning to be to be taken from that endeavor, but it's like you also haven't trained that hard. So, like, what are you teaching your clients? And, like, how are you investing in yourself to be able to deliver a better service? And I think that's, like, it's really refreshing. Like, there was a lot of coaches at the course who, like, I've been in the industry for, like, a year to three years. And it's like, fuck, like, if I could go back in time to when I first started in the industry and be like, I'm going to put myself into these because I, I was fortunate, like within sort of two and a half years in is kind of when I started like taking my upskilling a little bit more seriously. I did like a few courses that like laid a lot of really good foundational work for me. Um, but like, I think for like anyone coming up in the industry now to have access to people like Jordan, it's fucking wild. Yeah. The stuff that's out there now is definitely a lot better than the stuff that was out there when I started and and definitely even when you started. Like the gold standard, and don't get me wrong, like phenomenal, but also all the bullshit was Polycon. Yeah, I, I did Polycon over in the States. Yeah, like, like, I mean, I, I met Charles once and I'm like, interesting man. <laughs> like I would have loved to have learned from him, but there's also a lot of things that like, like I learned from a lot of coaches who learned from Charles mm-hmm. and they will still teach protocols and methods that he utilized, but I'm like, ah, oh, like I don't agree with it. I outrightly will like challenge and like fight you on this because of 
the stuff I've learned over here, which contradicts that. And it makes sense as to why it contradicts it. But yeah, I mean, yeah. But but I think that's in, it's important to have the two different perspectives as well. Otherwise, you yeah. you would only know what's over here and you wouldn't actually understand why it contradicts it or what it contradicts or why it's different. And that's and, and what I, think I love about is upskilling. Is like, again, like, if I look at the, the direction of my upskilling, like I kind of was going really hard in this direction early on and then it's like something kind of like pulled me a little bit this way and it's like, oh, I've kind of done a little bit of this over the time. And that's where I feel like I get a bit of a nice balance between a myriad of different things that might have conflicting like ideologies, but it's like you, you kind of need to go through that so you're not in the echo chamber. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and I had very much the same experience is learning from a lot of different people that had very conflicting ideas. And I would be hard in one camp and then hard in the other camp and back and forward, back and forward, back and forward until, you know, as everyone is when they're young, they're, they're trying to figure out who they are and what, what way they want to go. Yeah. But I think that that's super valuable because uh, it comes a point there when you have access to all of the information from all different sides of, of the, the fitness world, I guess. And you can kind of start to draw your own conclusions a little bit instead of just taking other people's answers and, and parroting them without actually understanding them. And I think to, to truly understand a concept, you, you kind of need to know the, the counter concept. Yeah, you need the complete picture. Yeah, you need to know where the flaws are, where the pros are. But like, yeah, it's but that's something that only really comes with like time and experience. Yeah, yeah, but I'm super grateful for that as well. So that's cool. yeah. Um, and then I think my like the third really big takeaway that I have from the weekend is how much I just fucking love learning, man. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, like. Like, again, like, got to work with, like, a couple of pre-strip coaches I've never met before. Um, and, like, just little bits and pieces you pick off people who come from, like, different backgrounds. You're like, fuck, like, I just love, like, so, for example, like, um, one of the guys that was there, like, Baxter, like, he... Mm. I'm fangirling on Baxter so hard at the moment because he's a physio, right? Yeah. So that's, like and that obviously like for anyone that doesn't know that's my that's my goal that I'm currently working towards and I am just like fangirling hard on this dude, hey. Yeah, but he showed us like a a hamstring curl variation that I'm like literally like as soon as he showed me I'm like oh my god I'm like I need to show Nick this. Which so actually, it? It's a seated hamstring curl variation. But one that targets because like when you do as do you have a seated hamstring curl at your gym mm -hmm. when you do them do you get much medial hamstring mm, no <laughs> <laughs> i'm so again like i'm i'm 100 gonna be like you know crediting backs for this but i'm like i'll film it for you tomorrow and i'll send it to you right. he got a guy to do like three reps like this and the guy got up, he's like, I'm already fucking sore. Nice. Like immediately he was just like, I'm just targeting part of my hamstring that like I've just not been able to target. So yeah, like just like that was like, oh fuck, like that's a really, really cool takeaway. And then like obviously like Sorry, speaking before, of we, before we move on. 
Have you? It's funny that you learnt a hamstring curl variation from Bax's prescript coach. I actually learned a hamstring variation from a prescript coach as well, Killian, like two years ago. Have you ever done the hamstring lying hamstring curl, but on your knees? On your knees. So lying hamstring curl, elbows like forearms, elbows on the pad, mm-hmm. in fr- where your head is. So your chest isn't on the pad, your elbows are on the pad. Yeah, to extend the hip a bit more. Yep. Up or hips up in the air. Knees are on the pad. So the only thing touching the pad is your elbows and your knees. And then you do a you do the hamstring curl. Rounded back. Okay. You'll have to send me a video of you doing that so I know what the fuck you're talking about. Because I've, I've never seen a hamstring curl done like that before. Yeah, I don't have access to a lying hamstring curl at the moment, but I have, I'm pretty sure I have either a video or a photo of me doing it um, cool. from a while ago. It's juicy as. Yeah, nice. I think I actually um, saw someone doing it recently. Um, I think it might have been um, one of Aaron's clients. Probably. I think it might have been one of Aaron's clients. I'll have a look. Yeah, it's really cool. cool. Anyway, hamstring variations. We could do yeah. a whole podcast on that. Oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> we really could. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like, I would say that they're probably like the three takeaways is like, like really reinforcing like my level of understanding as a coach with people that I look up to like really, really immensely, um, you know, the networking capabilities and then just like how much I just fucking love to learn. Yeah. Who were the, so who were the coaches, the prescript coaches that were there? So there was Junta. Yeah. Love that <laughs> He's fucking cool. A really, really nice guy. He's probably um, he's probably one of the like coolest dudes like in fitness. Hey, like he's just like soup. Like he just like exudes like coolness and calmness all the time. It's almost yeah. like he's just super uninterested always. I don't know if that's just like the whole like California vibe as well. Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there's obviously there's Jordan, there's Junta, there's Bax, um, Mac was there. Mm. And then Phil was there as well. Yeah, cool. Good yeah. lineup. Really, really good lineup. Cool. Um, how's your weekend? Yeah, my weekend was good. I um, I trained on Saturday morning and did like the open gym, open gym thing at at my gym that I do on Saturday mornings, um, which was fun. And then we went straight from there out to. Uh, one of the wineries in the Hunter Valley that we're wine club members at. Nice. Yeah, and we we only booked there. Oh, we spoke about it on one of our podcasts. We we went out there and tasted the Penfolds Grange. Yeah. And, and we were just kind of like driving past randomly and I saw the sign and we went in and we, we did the tasting. And while we were there, he actually threw in um, a few of the other wines that they have there um, that they that they taste and stuff in their cellar room. And we're like, oh, this is really cool. And they have like a restaurant attached to it. That's a really nice restaurant. And the the winery like grounds itself is really beautiful. So we joined that wine club as well while we were there um, a couple of weeks ago. And then M booked us a wine club members tasting there on Saturday. Um, and she usually books two uh, back, kind of back to back. So we went to this first one and bro, it was 
by far the best tasting I've ever done in Australia, hands down. Mm. It's, it wasn't even close. Like we we went in, um, the guy that was doing our tasting greeted us straight away. He's actually a winemaker himself. And then he walked us like out of the cellar room, like up and up these stairs and around the corner up to this old distillery room, which had been there since the 1700s and used to make like rum or something in there. And they'd, they'd kind of like restored this whole room and turned it into a cellar. So it was like really nice and cold in there, which was good because Saturday was super hot here. And there was just like wines all around the walls, floor to ceiling. There was a big like still in the corner. Um, and then this massive big treated timber table in the middle, which was beautiful. And we just sat there and we were the only two people in the room. Um, and then this guy just had a lineup, like an all-star lineup of wines for us to taste. And he, we got up there and he said, you know, people feel like coming up to this room is is about them and, and they're special if they get to do that. But you're about to find out it's really about me because I get to do whatever the fuck I want up here because the, <laughs> the bosses can't see me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so he just pulled out like the, the best wines that they had um and we did like a side-by-side -side pairing so each each flight of the tasting was a side-by-side -side so we could um taste the contrast in the different styles and dude it was it was awesome it was really cool and he took the time every pour to like tell us the history of each bottle and then um why it was going to taste different and and like the contrasting flavors that we we're going to get we got a pen folds in every flight and then he contrasted it with like one of their wines and, and it was, it was awesome. And the pours that he gave us was so generous too. They were like quarter glasses per yeah. pour. And there was there was like eight flights in total with two wines per flight. Nice. So, so like we were like cut by the end. <laughs> and it was completely Love free that. yeah it was completely free um and then we went next door and had dinner i uh, had lunch after that and got a got a pizza and then yeah hung out for a bit came home uh, and then i had a nap in the afternoon and on my new lounge that was my saturday and then i planned to mow the lawn on sunday but it was raining here on sunday so I ended up just spending the day doing some some computer work and I'll have to do the lawns later this week. Nice. Not as exciting as yours, but it was still pretty cool. Yeah. And oh, actually, um, before we move on to like lifting content, um, we, we always have date nights at home on the weekends. Yeah. It's Em loves to cook and she's a she's a really fantastic cook. So like the weekends are her opportunity to just cook whatever she wants and not have to worry about macros and calories and anything. It's just like the focus isn't on how healthy is the meal. The focus is like cook how, how good can you, how tasty is this meal and, and like how good can we make the, the wine pairing? So it's like, yeah, it's a really fun night. And she made, um, I think it's called parsnip puree. Okay. And I will never eat mashed potato again. Really? 
Oh my god. Brother, I am telling you. Okay. Because like I make a fucking mean mean oh. mashed potato. Oh yeah. Mate, I am potato's biggest fan. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I am team potato all the way. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'll never eat mashed potato again if parsnip puree is on the menu. That shit oh, well- was fucking great. And you've been called out like you're gonna have to cook me some some puree too. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it to make it when we're down in Melbourne for pro raw. Fuck yeah, yeah. We'll do like a um. We'll do we'll do a dinner out probably the night after we record some podcasts. We'll go. Yeah. We'll let you take us out somewhere in Melbourne. Um, and then one of the other nights I'll get Em to cook, and you can come over and we'll we'll have something because, yeah, dude, it's like it's so good. Nice. It's got more flavor than mashed potato, but like the same kind of consistency. Okay. I'll get around that. Mm, it's really good. Nice. Yeah, that was my highlight of the weekend, the parsnip puree. That's how, that's how you know you're getting old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your highlight of the weekend? Parsnip puree. <laughs> that's how you know you're fucking living life. How's your training been going? Really good. I, uh, Finally cracked a PB on my bench today. Not 170? No, although, tell you what, though, I reckon today could have been the day. You didn't go for it? Nah, I'm like, I'm going to keep see. going with my volume stuff like a good boy. Um, but good boy? Better than 40 for six. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So I was pretty fucking happy with it. Yeah. Been, I hadn't been able to crack five reps for like 18 months. Like I would just, I could hit five and then I was just like, and just lost it. But I got the bench on one of the Alico V2 benches today. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. You like it? It's rock fucking hard. Like there's no given that bench at all. And I like, you know that? Do you like that it, though? So you've seen, um, the series Billions. Oh, sorry, not Billions. Um, fuck. It's another series where, like, there's a really wealthy family. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's on Prime, I think it is. What do they do? But is it? Huh? What do they do with themselves? Why are they rich? Uh, media, I think. Mm. Okay. No. Uh, on, it's on. But there's a meme that goes around where, like, the main character, that it's just like, I fucking love it. He's like <laughs> old, angry white dude. And I was on that bench and I was like, oh, this is just delightful. The only time I like a pad that's not that rock hard, because it wasn't like some benches that are hard and it's just the timber under the bench and the pad is just shit. Mm-hmm. This was like whatever's making the pad up it's just like really firm rubber and it was delightful. The only time that I like a pad that's a little bit softer than that is if I'm benching on a rope fat pad because I'm like, which I'm like, I could lay down sideways on this motherfucker and still be on the bench. Yeah, but with that softer pad, I feel like you can dig in better. Yeah, but I feel like there's too much potential for movement, whereas on the, the, the really firm pad, I'm like, if I'm, if I'm locked in, I'm like, I can't go anywhere. Yeah, okay. Was it is the the leather on it or the the like upholstery on it grippy as well or? Yes. 
Oh, it but is. Also, like, like not super. It's not grippy like like a Valhalla. It, it's not grippy like the bench that we had, Wilchin, that you bought in. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that was a Valhalla, um, like top top on it. Yeah. So it's nowhere near as grippy as that. It's just like a normal combo. Yeah. Bench. Okay. Okay. So um, not as not as slippery as like a like a regular leather gym bench. No. Because a lot of those firm benches can get quite slippery, which I'm not a huge fan of. To be fair, though, like there's an Alico combo rack at a bodybuilding gym, so I don't know how often it actually gets used. Yeah, but I've also never used uh, anything Alico, to be honest. So I'm not that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've never even used an Alico bar. I don't even know what it looks like. I know what it looks like. I've just never used it. I've never had the privilege of touching anything Alico, not even a plate. I used to own a bunch of Alico shit. Yeah, cool. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't even I've seen it. I've only ever seen it on the internet. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, I mean, it's expensive, so I guess it would want to be it's good. It's very expensive, yeah. Um, but yeah, so bench went really, really well today. Um I'm going to squat tomorrow, which I'm looking forward to. Um, and then I'll deadlift on probably Saturday. Oh, oh, sorry, bench on Friday and then probably deadlift on Saturday or something like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. Did you – have you squatted – have you squatted since our last – conversation no because you had the weekend off because you're at the thing yeah because like originally on so after like because they all trained at the gym after each day and on the saturday i was like oh look if they've got a safety bar here like i'll i'll jump in and train and i'll just do like some squats and just fuck around but i'm like they didn't have a safety bar they only had like one little half rack it was like an nc fitness one i'm like hmm it's a beautiful gym, but I'm like, it's oh, that's not... at the that's at the gym where the seminar was. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not a it's not a, a it's not even a private gym. Like, it's literally a gym that the guy who owns that business was like, I don't like training at gyms with other people. I'm and his business could facilitate him opening up his own gym. Yeah, okay. So, so did... the, that business isn't a gym. No, it's a content area, pretty much. Uh, that's that's his main business. So he, he does a lot of like business coaching. Yeah, okay, um, I did I did see that. But he's got like I think people that work for him. I'm, I'm again I'm not 100 percent sure how it works. So don't quote me on it, but um, pretty much from my understanding, he does a lot of his like business stuff in the office upstairs. Yeah. Um, and then the gym just sort of like is content like a, a, a content lo- uh, location for his for his coaches. Yeah, cool. And for him to train with his friends and shit. Whatever, I mean, it would make sense because I looked at his page and his content's fucking dope. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like, I was like, oh, like, I might train on Saturday, but they didn't have the stuff that I need. I'm like, I don't want to just train for the sake of training. I'm like, I'm tired. I've got like a 50 minute drive home. I'm like, yeah, nah. Speaking of um, that place, that guy's podcast studio is podcast studio goals for us. Do well. I mean, 
Do you want to know the, the big goal as well? That'd be fucking sick. What? Being in the same fucking room, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's coming up. And then, I don't know, maybe one day you'll move to Gold Coast with me. Maybe. Or maybe you'll just, like, buy the bullet and move to Melbourne and enjoy the fucking phenomenal <laughs> food that we have down here. Uh, that's pretty good food. I just... I've actually never even been to Melbourne. Fuck off. I know. I swear to God, I've never been to Melbourne. My parents have... <laughs> My parents have been a couple of times and uh, three or four times and every single time that they come back, obviously being a good eldest son that I am, I follow up with them and go and see them and have some tea and biscuits and ask them how their holiday was. And every single time they say, you need to go to Melbourne, that place is you. Like you will love that place. You will love everything about it. Um, like just food, so, like food and coffee is like our thing here. Yeah, and that's my thing. So that's Which, kind of like so much so like on Saturday, Jordan was like, dude, he's like, Melbourne coffee is shit. I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? I'm like, <laughs> bro, I'm like, where did you get your fucking coffee from? He's like, I don't know, just like a fucking coffee store. I'm like, that's your fucking problem. I'm like, we literally have some of the best fucking coffee shops in the world here. You can't just pick a shitty one on the side of a fucking street and sit there and go, I'm going to judge all of Melbourne coffee based on that. So on Sunday when I went, like, I did, like, my pour-over coffee at home, put it in a fucking thermos, took it in. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm like, try this. And he took a sip of it and he's like, <laughs> he's, he's like, dude, that's real good. I'm like, yeah. And that's shit I make at home. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, that would be cool. M's the biggest coffee snob I've ever met. Almost bigger than you. Oh, no. She's close. When you guys come to town, there's a cafe in particular I'm going to take you to, and you guys are genuinely going to shit your pants with how fucking good it is. Hell yeah, I love shitting my pants. Yeah, it's so good. That's the best, and coffee's good good too. So good. Yeah, so they always say, you need to make a trip to Melbourne because you will love it. And they always actually say to me, you should move there. I always just kind of thought maybe they were trying to get rid of me, but maybe they really think I'll like it. A little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. They just said, they just said there's like everything there that you will like and, and you'll just fit in really well. So I was like, all right, cool. Cause like, even like out in the Yarra Valley, like we have really good wineries out there as well. Down the peninsula, we have really, really good wineries too. Um, Like obviously in Melbourne as a whole, like phenomenally, like just phenomenal restaurants, really good coffee. Obviously, gym culture down here is wild. Yeah, it's, um, it's next level. Like, for example, like um, Lehman from Muscle Nerds always talks about, he's like, dude, he goes, Melbourne and Sydney, he goes, they are the two cities in Australia that pay the most for education, but Melbourne still takes that out. So, like, in terms of how much the industry wants to actually move forward. Like, it's insane. There's yeah. also a lot of, like, you know, like, even from, like, a nature perspective, like, within, like, an hour and a half, two hours from Melbourne, like, you can get some pretty fucking cool spots. Yeah. Um, and then if you go, like, sort of, like, three to five hours out, like, you get some really nice spots. I mean, we're just lucky that some fuckwit of a premiere stepped down. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a big issue for a while. But every time, every time we've gone to, every time we've gone on holidays, it's been to the Gold Coast. Um, yeah, Em and I, 
And every time we go there, Em's like, oh, I just, I love the Gold Coast so much. And obviously I do too. Um, and we're like, we should just move here. Because neither of us have been to Melbourne. Here's the thing though. I used to live in Seattle. Yeah. Right. Which um, from what I have heard is very similar climate and weather wise to Melbourne most of the year. Uh, and I, I just, I loved it. I loved that weather. I loved being in a city like Seattle, which from all reports is very much, again, very similar to Melbourne in terms of like, it's, there's a good music scene, a ton of good restaurants. Seattle's known for coffee. Like, I mean, it's Starbucks, but Starbucks was born in Seattle. Like that's how big coffee is in, in Seattle. So yeah, it's like food, coffee, music, rain. That's Seattle. And I was that's like, very similar to Melbourne. Yeah. And I was like, I, I love all four of those things. So I fit in really well there. And I'm just kind of secretly hoping that when we go down to Melbourne for Pro Raw, M's like, we should move to Melbourne. And then I'll be like, sweet, Ben's got a couch. Let's go. What? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, I mean, it's really, to be honest, going to depend on. Um, what uh where the the university degrees are being delivered well you know there's some really good universities in melbourne too that we both need because <laughs> we're both going to need to go and do um the masters uh face to face so yeah. whatever wherever that'll be available i know there's a couple on the gold coast that do it and i think there's one or two melbourne has better unis than the gold coast does, that's for sure oh, there you go could end up there who knows decision made <laughs> decision made yeah so um man i would love to move to melbourne just for, even from a training perspective i feel like it would my my personal training i feel like would go to a whole nother level it would depending on the gym that you trained at well i like, would just i would just train um at any time fitness of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but like, like the good thing is like you do have like just your standard gyms like an anytime or a snap or whatever it is. But then you've also got gyms like Pro Raw Gym, into performance, one gym that just have fucking insanely good equipment. Yeah, and like I've been stunning venues. Yeah, I've been following one gym for a while. It's super aesthetic there too. Well, I got to go and like try like some of the like Arsenal stuff today. My God, it's good, hey! So heavy duty. It's so nice. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just it was nice. I um, speaking of Arsenal equipment, I love Arsenal equipment. I'm a big Arsenal equipment fan, and um, I actually did see on um Facebook over the weekend. That a, I saw. No, I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say who it was or like what gym it was. But a gym that I follow on Facebook got a new Arsenal um, belt squat, and it's the one where the platform um, moves. Have you seen those? It like raises yeah. up so that you can like have a, a wedge or no wedge, like hill elevation, and the person was the employee of this gym was um doing a little walk through 
of the new piece of equipment that they got and showed showed the heel elevation and was like, if you have really tight Achilles, you can elevate <laughs> elevate the platform. <laughs> I was like, oh. okay. It's an inter interesting take. Oh, yeah, but I mean, it's the fitness industry, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was quite funny. Yeah. Didn't get to mention that to you because you were busy all weekend, but I had it stored. I had it saved, ready to to flick over. Excellent. <laughs> Off air, you'll have to tell me like which gym and who it was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, my training went pretty good last week. Yep. Yeah, I, it was like my first kind of like a little transition week into the new new block, a few new few new things. And I liked them. I did those floating foot squats, mm -hmm. split squats. They were great. I still haven't loaded them. I did them again this morning. Um, I'm gonna. I'll probably hold off on loading them for this block and then start loading. They the do block. take a bit of time. Yeah, my good knee feels fine. Like I feel like I could load that now, but my bad knee just feels like I probably shouldn't. Yeah, but, um, but I think it's a sensible idea to not load a thing. Yeah, this week felt way better than last week already, though. Um, and then I did front squats again today, and they felt so much better than last week. We love that. Yeah, ten kilos heavier, and they like it. Just it, I could just felt like I had way more control. Still not as much as what I want, but like way more. Like. 60% more control than last week. Nice. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that. That was a big win for me today. Um, did my first raw bench in ages on Saturday morning as well. How'd you go? Um, I went good. I'd it probably, probably not as well as I could have because my hips were a little bit sore. Okay. Um, from deadlifting, yeah. Um, I just I don't know. My hips were just a little bit unhappy. Um, by the end of the week, and I think again that's probably just like comes down to training early in the morning. Um, maybe not concentrating as much as what I should with every single rep because I'm still a bit like half asleep, and I probably just moved you know a little bit unintentionally. And like, I didn't feel anything at all, but it, they were just all around the hips were kind of a bit, bit uh, unhappy. So I, I couldn't probably get into as much like a proper position as I wanted. Like I really like driving a whole bunch of hip extension in my bench lately. Like I'm feeling like it's making a lot of difference in my position. Yeah. Um, and I, it wasn't able to access as much as that as what I would like. So it didn't feel as good as what it has before, but it still was like quite, quite easy. I did 120 for, um, I did 100, 110 and 120 for three ramping sets of five. Yes. Um, and that was fairly, fairly comfortable, which is nice. And then... 
yeah, that's pretty much all I have to report on that. I tried out some sumo, some like narrow-ish, like sumo-ish position on Friday. How's that go? Which I sent you and I put a little teaser snapshot up on my story. Yep. Um, it went well. Went better than yeah. it went better than expected. Good. I spoke to you a little bit about it, and I also spoke to um, another one of my mates, Shannon. Do you know Shannon Thompson? Might know the face. I might yeah. know the Instagram handle. I um, uh, can't tell you his Instagram. Coach Teddy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he um he came third at Pro Roll last year in the one tens and hurt his knee on his final deadlift. Yes, I unfortunately recall was, seeing that. Yeah, it was quite a bad, quite a bad knee injury. I don't exactly know what it was. He has told me, but I forget because it was it was pretty bad. Like I think he pretty much like ripped everything off the bone. Yeah, because I remember he was in a like a full knee brace for months. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Um, but he he did some stories that same day just on him on his sumo position and some things that he'd kind of worked out that allowed him to get in that position without any knee pain at all mm -hmm. or, or any discomfort through the knee, which is one of the things that has stopped me trying that position up until now is because of just like obviously the extra force and, and rotational force through the knee is not really something that I wanted to expose my knee to. But after speaking to you and to him, I feel like I've probably found a position that that might work. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to take a little bit of tweaking, but it felt really comfortable. I mean, one way to really find out if it's going to work or not. Yeah, and I mean, I was able to go in with no warm up and do three plates for like three super comfortable singles that that didn't yeah. even like. Just didn't even register on like it was just easy yeah with no warm-up or anything so i mean yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck around with that for a little bit because i feel like that's um could be really cool if i could make that work anything really? anything to reduce the like seventeen thousand kilometers of bar travel fair like i think that's pretty close to the exact amount of bar travel on all of my squats and deadlifts. Yeah, I would probably say so as well. <laughs> it's close. Yeah. So there is a long way for you to go. Yeah. It's kind of annoying really. I feel like I get yeah. to the I feel like I get to the knee and I'm like, this is like I've had enough. I've done like a whole deadlift already and now I've got to do another one. It's like Ben would already be locked out by now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway, it is what it is. So hopefully that works. I'm still undecided as to whether or not I try and do hook grip at the same time. I'm undecided. Don't do it. I'm leaning towards no, but it also looks really pretty. So, no, no, it just hurts. And, you know, there's a reason why I'm leaning towards no, and it's not that it hurts. 
What's just, the reasoning? I'm just so used to mixed grip that when I mix grip, I'm able to keep my arms very loose and there's no tension whatsoever in my arms and all of the tension is in my upper back. As soon as I go to hook grip, I'm so focused on my hands and squeezing the bar and, and where my fingers are and what my hands are doing that I load my arms. I, I, mm -hmm. pull, I, I pull tension with my arms and I think, and I, I can't stop it. I, I'm sure I could if I dedicated enough time to it, but every time I go to hook grip, that happens. And I, I honestly believe it's just because I have so much focus on my hands that I'm using my hands. Whereas as soon as I switch to hook grip, I don't even fucking think about my hands. Yeah. Like, like at all. I don't even think about where I'm grabbing the bar. I literally just fucking bend over and wherever my hands are, that's where they go. Yeet. <laughs> and they end up in the same spot every time, but I just don't think about it. Okay. So I just think that me thinking about my hands, may, you know, it makes me load my arms more and I don't want to do that. So. Yeah, no. Ideally not. Ideally not. Should we talk about some strength stuff? Let's get into it, man. We're going to cover uh, active and passive range of motion. To begin with, yes. <laughs> to, to begin with, and then we'll just kind of see where that leads. We have some other things to talk about too, but I'm sure there'll be some rabbit holes. Yeah, I feel like this was kind of like the main topic. We were like, yes, I could really talk about this. Yeah. Go for it. Talk about it. So straight off the bat, I would probably define the difference between in terms of like active range is range of motion you can control. Passive range of motion is that you can't control. So if we think about that from the perspective of strength training, all that sort of jazz, active range of motion is range we're still going to have tension on fibers. Mm -hmm. Whereas passive range is where we are losing that tension, which dropping into structures. Mm -hmm. That's Perfect. where I, that that would be my definition of what the difference is between the two. Um, so I think, like for an example, specific to say powerlifting, where we see quite a bit of passive range come in, is when you see people build all the tension on a squat, build all this tension on the bench, and in the last little range, they just go in and out really fast, and there's a massive change of speed. Mm -hmm. That, to me, and, like, people sit there and go, oh, but you're using stretch reflex, and it's like, if you're using stretch reflex with, like, 120 kilos, you can probably get away with it. Mm -hmm. But if you've got 300 kilos on the bar, it's not as forgiving. Mm -hmm. um, it is not. So, yeah, I, I would look at it purely from the fact of, like, if we're looking at, say, accessory moves, the amount of times you will hear coaches go, oh, well, you know, train your accessories through a full range of motion so you can get strong in that range of motion. Mm-hmm. I would 
just put a little asterisk on that statement and say train through a full active range of motion mm -hmm. because if you're just dropping into passive structures because you lose tension like those movements become redundant they're not actually going to facilitate the additives that we're changing or, or the hypertrophy work that we're after i think if people actually learn how to train properly mm -hmm. and how to train hard and how to actually put tension on muscle fibers we would see a lot more powerlifters, and like again, like I see this with a lot of the people that I work with, have like you know been competing for ten years or whatever it is, and I'm like, stop dropping in and out of shit so fast. Like you're losing all of your tension, you're just bouncing. Mm -hmm. So essentially, when they're dropping, they're spending all this time building tension, building tension, building tension, building tension, building tension, and then it's just a boom. You just lose it all. You lose all of that fucking work you've just put in to try and get yourself to this position. And then you come out and you hit the spot here and then it's really slow and really grindy and quite often you miss. Mm -hmm. Or you're having to work so much harder than you need to because you're having to try and regain tension on fibers without ripping shit off bones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had this exact, exact conversation with someone who I know is going to listen to this podcast and I know that he also, I also know that he won't mind me bringing it up on... Um, Saturday, actually, while I was sitting at the restaurant having pizza, um, he sent me a video of his squat. Um, and it was, this is a guy who uh, had asked for my advice um, prior to competing recently. And mm -hmm. um, there was a couple of things that I thought he could potentially change up a little bit in his squat um, to better suit him and to get himself into a little bit of a better position, a stronger position, and be able to express the strength that we know he has. Yeah. Uh, but he was pretty close to comp. So at the time I said, look, there is a few things that I think you could change, but I don't think you should do it now. So compete, then message me, and um, and I'll let you know. And he did that. Um, he's, he's a young kid and he's super hungry to get better. So he, he loves feedback and, and he takes it really well. I told him a couple of things that I'd like to see him change. He implemented both of them. He sent me the video on the weekend and he was like, oh, dude, like this actually, my squat hasn't felt this good in probably a, a really long time ever, I think he said. And, um, and it did look significantly better. And I said, um, my response to him was, this looks a lot better, dude. Do you mind if I just give you one more bit of feedback? And he was like, no, nah, yeah. dude, of course, you don't have to ask. Just hit me with it. Um, and I said, I would just like to see you control your hips through the entire range. Because he was doing exactly that. He was lowering, 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 and then like dip and then just try and like try and catch that that bounce and it's yeah it's i i don't think it's the right thing to do i think if you think about a squat like coiling a spring you want to you want to build as much tension as you can through that active range and if you don't have access to the range go and fucking get it go and yeah. get it <laughs> like, yeah. there's things that you can do that will fix that 100 percent, but it takes time and we know that like a lot of people don't actually want to put the time and effort in required to have the outcomes. They just want the outcome. 
Yeah, but his response was really good. Um, and he said um, something along along the lines of, um, oh, yeah, that's really good feedback. I've actually noticed when you squat and um, he named two other um, big heavyweight lifters that, that he really looks up to. Um, he said, when you guys squat, it's like very, very controlled, methodical descent. And then when you're at the bottom, it's just like explosion. Like you just ex a power out. I was like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, think about like coiling a spring. Um, yeah. Which is really cool. But yeah, that's like, I mean, again, I could rant on this for so long. Do you think but... that's, do you think that's probably one of the biggest areas that we see it is in like the bottom of a squat Bottom of a squat, bottom of a bench. Yeah, I think that's a big issue for a lot of lifters in the bottom of their bench where they yeah. they probably don't have access to enough internal rotation. So they get, you know, three quarters of the way down on their bench. They can't control it the way they should. And it's more like a a a, a dump a bit in dump into the chest because they, they don't have access to control that range. Yeah. But like, I think this is, so like I kind of, I'll, I'll look at like range and tension on kind of like a bell curve, right? So I feel like I'll kind of look at it and go, oh, there's like not tight enough over here. There's too tight over here. And there's like that sweet spot in the middle where like we've got pretty good range, but we can control that range. And I will always look at it from like the perspective of like you see people they try and go into these massive arches on the bench press because they're trying to physicize bloody strength training. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make it all about and how much can I manipulate my leverages so that I can express the most amount of strength. Mm -hmm. And it's like at the end of the day, like we spoke about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It's like if you just focused on coming into ranges where you can control the stability of your scapula, you can maintain a nice active arch and you just focus on getting stronger. Mm -hmm. People would progress at a rate that's much more significant than what they generally do. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Like, you know, there's a lot of, for example, like lightweight female, like raw lifters. Mm -hmm. They might compete at like, you know, 55 or 52 or whatever their, their weight class is. And like, they'll have big benches, like they're benching like, you know, 70 to 80 kilos which for a chick that size is a big bench. Yeah. But then like you ask them to do a dumbbell press and they can barely press 12s. Mm. And I'm like, no, that is not good. <laughs> like it should be stronger than that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, like, if they, and if they were like, what would what could they press then? Well, like, like my like my favorite female bencher is Jen Smith. Mm, solid. Like, yeah, she gets into like a pretzel position, mm -hmm. but when you see her train her accessories like dumbbell pressing and that sort of stuff, she's still fucking strong. Yeah, like she's a lightweight female lifter double body weight like it's insane yeah i look let's touch on accessories 
Actually, before we touch on accessories, I do want to touch on accessories. I remind me if we go somewhere else. I think another uh, another place that we see this pop up as well in the squat is like hand position to create upper back tightness in the squat as well. Yes. Like people just wedge their hands so close and then shove themselves into this crazy position and they're like, yep, I'm tight. It's like, you're just tight because your arms are as wide as your ears are and the bars just shut down on your back now. There's no muscular contraction facilitating that tension. It's just your structures have been pushed so close together that, that it can't help but be tight. When yeah. It's not really tight. It's just, it's compressed. Yeah, it's literally like you're tight because you're just jamming your structure together. You're, you're like, like your skeleton is like touching each other. It's like, oh, this is a coke can. The coke can's so tight. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I've just crushed the fucking thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, man, I see that a lot. And I think actually we had someone comment um, on one of our Instagram reels just this week about it. Um, Daniel, who's a, a great lifter. And I think he's down there around you somewhere, isn't he? Yeah, he, he trained at a gym. It's like 10 minutes down the road from me. Yeah. And I think he hit the nail on the head. It's something that that I do see quite a lot is people just jam into structure and, and it feels really tight, but they're not actually creating any tightness. And yeah, then- And this is where- like, I think you I need to make sure of both. Yeah, so I, I had a, a session with a client of mine today and she's like inside the smooth on the center of the bar. Oh, with a hand grip. Yeah. And I asked her, I'm like, do you actually feel like you're generating upper back tension in this? Or do you just feel like you're so crammed in together that you just feel tight? And she's like, oh, look, it's probably just the fact I'm so close together. I feel tight. So I'm like, cool. But I'm going to take half a thumb. So I'm like, well, pretty much on, like, just on the line, like a little bit on the smooth line. I want you to take like half of the length of your thumb away from where you're sitting now and set your hands there. Mm -hmm. She unracked and she's like, oh no, I don't like this. Yeah. Well, it felt, it would have felt a lot different. Yeah. But I said to her, I'm like, and I get like, this isn't necessarily like a stab at her because I see this for a lot of people, but it's like, if you, don't actually know how to create tension in your system and you're just shoving shit together and going, oh, well, this is now without actually knowing how to make like that tight, mm -hmm. you're missing the point. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that, that I've worked on with Am and Her Squat. And I know you've seen a little bit of the evolution of that um, since... Uh, when you were up here at World Gym and, and we were training even until now, but even before that, it was it was a bit of a journey to get it from where it was when I first took over M's coaching to when you first saw a squat. And then now I think you'd probably seen a big difference. And one of those things was is um, ever since M started in fitness, she's loved squatting and, and deadlifting. They were like two staples in her training for almost the entirety of her training life. Mm -hmm. She was always taught by the the people that she learned off through you know, courses and 
things like that to get your hands as as close as what you physically can as as what your shoulder mobility will allow even and and again as i said earlier today where i started off with my professional development as a coach that is something i was taught as well mm-hmm. yeah again, and- i think sorry go on no go ahead i was gonna say like when they're like yeah get your hands as close as shoulder mobility allows where it's like yeah again like there's a little asterisk there where it's like where you can create tension yes but key point being create tension don't just force it yeah uh, but i think that's where the that asterisk doesn't get um it doesn't get like vocalized or portrayed or put through on on social media content or like you know short form yeah, content where there's there's no context sexy. yeah and there's no context there's no space for context right it's like quick quick clips grab your attention like everyone's got a short attention span let's like say something that's like markable and quick and and can get like some people some good results but for her it just didn't work dude like she couldn't get tight it threw her into like a bunch of extension like straight away and the other person that she was learning to squat from was telling her to push her hips back more so that she used more glutes and so there was a lot of things that we had to fix in that system, but the, the tightness was a big, big one. So the hand position and then the hip position were pretty much the two big ones that we've worked on and both have had a pretty significant payoff so far. Nice. Now we're just working on the ribs in relation to the hips. That's going to be the next big one. Does she do much like front squatting as accessory work? Yeah, as of as of recently yes yeah as i always feel like with m so here's the thing right i literally love that girl more than anything on this planet i hope so (laughs) but because i'm her husband and also her coach it takes me a good like two months i would say to like implement anything because i i say it she says no. Yeah. And I, I I leave it. I've learned to just leave it. And then I say it again and she'll say no and get mad at me. And then I leave it. And then I say it again. And she's like, well, tell me why. So then I tell her why. And then she still, and then she just like, doesn't do it anyway. And then she'll be like, okay, I've been thinking about it. And I want you to put that thing in my program. So then I put it in her program and then she substitutes it out on her own. <laughs> and then, oh. so this is the whole process for everything. So then, so then I have to follow up and say, Hey, remember you asked me to put front squats in your program. But then I actually was like, while I was in my session with this other client looked over and saw that instead of doing front squats, you were doing safety bar squats. Was there a reason for that or and she was just like, yeah, I just felt like doing safety bar squats. So then it, eventually she will try it on her own. And then yeah. she'll be like, oh, front squats are really good. <laughs> it feels really good on my brace. And I'm like, I wonder yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> Whoever thought of that idea? But that's See, like, it's literally like that for everything. 
So it's a it's a slower process in coaching her, but it's also very enjoyable. Yeah. So I, I've always said, like, I mean, I've been saying this for years, like, I'll never coach a partner ever. And I always end yeah. up doing that. Um, but it's always the challenge when you train your partner where you're like, because you literally go like, there's there's partner me and then there's coach me. And they're going to do this every once in a while. And they're just going to butt heads because it's like, coach me is like, well, just shut the fuck up and do what I tell you to do because it's going to get the result that you keep complaining you're not getting. But then part of me is like, oh, I need to be so much more gentle with this where I just want to be like, stop. Yeah, I, I've i learned. We had it, we butted headed a few times when I first took over. Um, but now I just, I've learned that it's a six to eight week process. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm okay with that. Like she's in no rush. I'm in no rush. I know that we'll get there in the end. Like a perfect example is the front squats. Another one is conditioning. She's been watching me do the conditioning. She's been hearing us talk about conditioning. Um, I've been talking to um, Tommy from Strength Drive about conditioning. Um, it's something that that I'm pretty passionate about and I think everyone should do. I've been talking about Will, Will Crozier about conditioning. Everyone seems to be on the conditioning train, which I'm 100% here for. Mm-hmm. And it, she's surrounded by it. So she's like, Hey, that looks pretty fun. And I want to get a little bit leaner and I don't really love dieting that much because I love food so much. Maybe you could just program me one conditioning day a week. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then she's like, yeah, but I'm listening. remember, but- I'm not coordinated. I don't like moving. I don't like sweating. I don't like all of these things. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, I ended up programming a conditioning day and this is week four and i think she might do it this week i think she hasn't done it yet but she's had all intentions to but i think she secretly doesn't want to probably not (laughs) i think i think she might do it this week so fingers crossed and we're calling you out now yeah join the conditioning train it's fun i gotta see you do i gotta do see you do some conditioning soon too i'm gonna get you on it it's good for you, mate. It's, it's, I was actually thinking about, like, and I know this is like such a like retired powerlifter thing to say, but the only reason I say it is because this is like where my background is. But I want to get back into like sprinting. Yeah, sprinting. I thought you were going to say jujitsu. I feel like jujitsu is where powerlifters go to die. I went. I was doing jits before I was doing powerlifting, so I could go back there if I wanted. Don't but I just got I got injured all the time doing. It. I'm like, yeah. It's fun to know how to choke people out, yeah. but it's also fun to not have like fucked toes and knees and hips and shit all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, cause I, like I grew up like doing a lot of track and field stuff. Um, and I like, it's just nice when I'm like, I know if I do that, I'm going to have to drop some weight. Yeah, probably a little bit, but, but I don't, I don't know if I want to, I like, like where I'm at now. Like I, I feel good. Like, I feel what do you weigh now? Like 97, 96, not somewhere around there. You probably wouldn't have to drop that much weight. It depends how serious I, you want to get with sprinting. But I would probably want to get back down to like 90. Well, you'd be shredded at 90 though. Oh, I know. <laughs> you would be shredded at 90. I think it'd be pretty cool if you could get to 90, keep 
keep a, a decent amount of the strength that you have right now, but also run. Have That's I it. shown you uh, the photos and stuff from when I did my cut back in 2020? Mm, no, but I want you to. So in 2020 was the first time I've done like, I did like a proper cut. I was like, I'm going to give myself 12 weeks. I dropped like 9.6 kilos in 12 weeks. Nice. So I went from like 97-ish down to like 88. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, well, I'm, we're in lockdown in Melbourne. I was like, I literally have nothing else to do but train and like treat myself like an actual full-time athlete for once. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there was all like, I would go and like, I'd take math, like two walks a day. Like it was like minimum 15,000 steps a day. I had like my sessions where I was like, I ran a lot more volume, but there was a lot more low intensity for the sake of like recovery. I tracked every bit of food, everything I drank, like everything was accounted for. Yep. And the process in which I did it, I'm like, it just worked beautifully. Um, and like, once I sort of like got to a point, I'm like, yep, this is like my finish date. I think I weighed in at like 88.6. And I was like, cool. I'm going to start. And so, so pretty much I did a massive, massive, massive calorie drop for like three days, like flush heaps of fluid out of my system. Mm -hmm. And then pretty much just like would up my calories every like three to six days or something. And for 12 weeks, I just reverse dieted out of like a brutal drop. Yeah. Um, and it, like I got up to a point where I think the so when I sort of got it back up to about ninety one, I was on like forty three hundred calories, mm-hmm. and I was lean. Nice, but I was strong. Like at ninety one, ninety two, I was like, this is where I feel the healthiest. Yeah, I feel strong. I'm moving well. I'm in pretty fucking good condition. Like for a guy who's not like actively looking to want to compete in like bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm like that, that's a nice spot for me. Yeah. I, I think, think that's kind of, I think that would be I'd cool. like to get back to. I think yeah. that'd be cool to see that. Yeah. Let's do it. I was, I was talking to um, Crozier just the last week about running because um, he responded to my skipping story, which I was actually very proud of that I was able to do five rounds of two minute unbroken skips where I literally did not fuck it up one single time. Nice. Yeah. I was like, skipping world championship. Here I come. (laughs) Literally. I was like driving home, just thinking like, you're a fucking man. You could skip like no one's (laughs) business. He was such a highlight. I put it on my story and then um, I'd kind of forgotten about it like the day the day went on and yeah you know the the hype around the skip world championships died down and then later that evening will was like he responded something like you know jumpy boy like this is love to see this is great or something and i was like oh fuck yeah that was great like it was this is like more reinforcement and then we just kind of got chatting about me wanting to get back into a little bit of like sprinting um, which I haven't done in a really, really long time because of my leg. Um, yeah. 
and we just it was a pretty fun little conversation where we just kind of th tossed a few ideas around on like what that might look like on like maybe how to get back to that um when i actually started it last week so i'm thinking what i'll do is start with heavy-ish sled pushes with a focus on like striking position and and like running position more so than speed and just like try and move it fast but it will be moving slow and just focus on like what my feet are doing what my knees are doing what my hips are doing um, and then progressively take weight off the sled so that I can progressively move it faster to where I'm like exposing myself to more speed, but slowly um, with, with a limiter on there. The only thing I would be mindful of is the amount of force that you're going to have to be producing with a heavier weight. It's not like, it's not like heavy. I know, I know, but like there are, so again, like because my background throughout all of high school was, track like i had i had a scholarship to you know one of like the top schools in the country for for athletics and in terms of like our development for like our preseason, it's all positional drill like think of it like with with like strength training and like a big squat mm -hmm. like you're not going to go in and be like oh, i'm going to go and do like obnoxiously heavy weights to try and teach my positions like i'm going to do regressed stuff that's positional teaches the position but in a way that my body can handle and adapt to it easily well again the whole thing of going i need loads to like force me into position no it's not so much to force me into position as to make sure i don't run too fast and hurt my knee then limit yourself to like an rpa or like a you're running you're doing like run throughs at 60 percent of focusing on like no i can't the, the transition have, the time it's... i have no limiter so get one <laughs> <laughs> no look i will say that's that's a, I, I will like i do i'm just a little bit scared to start actually running to be honest it's like a fear thing there, there would be some really basic like gym based like light plyo work you could probably do just to kind of test the need to be like i'm sick like i'm secretly doing it Okay, cool. Cool. Like, like if you if you can do like single leg bounds for like sixty seconds straight on one leg and it not pull up sore, that's like you're probably in a, a good spot. And then you can start doing some like change of direction stuff. Even though obviously sprinting it's forward, there's not really a change of direction. At least the change of direction plyo jump stuff gives you an idea. It's like what is the capacity of this knee to withstand this? Yeah, I'm secretly again, doing. Even if you're, what's that? Go ahead. So that if you're if you start hearing you're like, oh, there's a 10 meter track, and I'm just literally gonna be doing up and down, up and down, up and down, side to side, forward, and then doing it backwards, like the knee's gonna get very comfortable with going like, yes, I can produce force, I can accelerate, I can absorb force and decelerate, I can change direction, do this, and I can do it in a way that's in a really controlled environment. And then you can might start doing like single leg bounding and then there's a bunch of other shit you can do that's going to help a bit. Like, obviously, when you're doing plyometrics and, like, if you're thinking sprinting, like, the amount of force that's going to be going through your skeleton 
each time that foot strikes the ground, you don't want 50% of the time for you to be going, oh shit, oh shit, mm. oh shit, oh mm. shit. You want me to go, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Secretly, a lot of the things that I've been doing in the gym recently have had a dual purpose. And one of them is to get me into a position where I could maybe start running again. So like yeah. a lot of the the ankle and hip mobility and stability stuff has been with running in mind. A lot of the isometric stuff has been done with running in mind. And it just so happened that it actually really helped my lifting as well, which was a nice, which was a nice like side benefit. But the reason, the main reasons that I was doing them to start with was because I wanted to get better in those positions so that I could start running again. Nice. Yeah. Have you watched? I know for a fact that I've suggested that you watch it. I think I may have even sent you one of them episodes on youtube of the pro bodybuilder ian who's transitioning back to sprinting i haven't watched it and the only reason typically is i very seldom watch anything on youtube dude you should watch that i it's very interesting i could imagine it would be funnily enough if it came on like you know how they used to like Instagram TV where you put like a 30 minute video? If it was like that, I would probably watch it there. But when I'm on YouTube, for whatever reason, I'm just like <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's really good though. So a lot of um yeah. a lot of the stuff that I've been doing was I first saw it there, and then that kind of like that was a few months ago. I think I sent you that. Yeah, probably four months ago now. Um, that kind of started my little autistic spiral into that world, and <laughs> nice. And this is this is where we've ended up now. Where I'm like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable implementing some of these things now that I've gone and spent my entire existence for the last four months learning about them. So again, this is where I'm going to liken like the whole like running and squatting thing you're saying you don't have a a rate limiter for for speed right for anything for well, for anything it's like all or nothing bullshit i'm getting better well, i was gonna say in the last few months you have gotten so much better at being like i'm gonna be smarter about this yeah I'm and i'm going better. to do Stuff that's going to set me up for adaptation and success. Yeah, I'm getting better. I'm getting better at applying it to myself. That's that's the thing. Like I've I I know it, I understand it. I implement it with clients every single day. Yeah, it, it was always a, just a little bit of a different story with myself. Yeah, I, I get that. But this is also where I'm going to say, like, if you do decide, like, hey, I'm going to go down to like an overall or a track or something like that, and I'm just going to do like some light run throughs send me the videos because if you're running at like 80 percent, i'm gonna be like wait fuck with i'm like was that a fucking 60 percent run through <laughs> i don't fucking think so i don't think so yeah let's do it i'm keen to do that we should we should do it together that'll be fun good i think it would i'm actually interested to see because i have some pretty hefty powerlifting goals this year 
which I've shared with you, and I won't yes. be I won't be sharing um, with anyone else um, until you'll you'll know what it is when it happens. Um, but I truly think that doing this will help that not hinder it. I will be very curious to see how it navigates doing, doing it now i'm saying doing it now obviously yeah. like when i move into a prep i'm not going to be like going down to the overland sprinting three days a week no <laughs> but i think i think doing that now is um i think it's i think it will be beneficial for me i really do yeah um so i'm gonna do it one of the other things that i really wanted to do this year that i mentioned to M. And she said, you are an absolute lunatic and I almost hate you for even suggesting it, is I said, I have two goals this year. One of them is the powerlifting numbers that I told you. And, yep. the, and the second one is to do the Goggins Challenge. What's the Goggins Challenge? You don't know what the Goggins Challenge is? Do you know who Goggins is? Of course, I fucking know who Goggins is. Uh, so the Goggins. So if you know who Goggins is, this challenge won't surprise you. But it is outrageous, and okay. because of that, I think it's cool as fuck. So the Goggins challenge is four miles. Yep. Which is like six point six kilometers. Yep. Yeah. Every four hours for seventy two hours. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like an EMOM, but it's yeah, a it, it's every like four a, hour mom. It's an every four hour mom, six Ks, six point something K, six point one Ks. Yeah. For, seven, for 72 hours. So you're like setting an alarm, waking up in the middle of the night, running six Ks, coming back, sleeping another couple of hours, getting up, running again for 72. I would be such a cranky cunt if I did that. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty tough, hey. Oh. So what, you're running 36K every 24 hours? Mm. It's tough. So it's, it's 100K pretty much in three days. Mm -hmm. I reckon you could make that a whole lot more fucked up as well. Oh, you could, for sure. Like, I reckon if you did it so that it worked out that, like, you ran, like, 100K over the three days and you did, like, a 1,000 pull-ups as well. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it could, it's it like, could it could get nasty as hell, but I just oh, think, It could like, get out of hand so fast. I just... But if, if you're going to do it the real Goggins style, you need to get, like, a blow-up paddle boat. And hold that for the whole time. Be like, we're going to carry the boats. <laughs> I started putting that on my Instagram. Nice. Have you seen it in the mornings? Yeah, I'm like, burn the boats. I either say like, I either do the burn the boats or who's going to carry. Yeah. It's like, switch it out one or the other. I love it. More for it. Yeah. I, I'm like a huge fan of the burn the boats mentality and saying. And I want to say it more, but I kind of feel like Jordan has just like Climbed a... It. He's claimed it to the point where it's, I'm not sure that anyone else can really say it that much, but Dude, I really want he to. He has it tattooed on his knuckles. Yeah, I know. 
I know. Like, th that saying is his. Do you reckon he would mind if I say it? It's pretty cool. No. Like, he took sure. it from he took it from someone else. Everyone takes shit from someone else. Like, if you were just like, fuck yeah, we're here to burn the boats. Yeah. He's not going to say, like, oh, well, what? that's my fucking saying. Like, what are you doing? He would just be like, yeah, we are. My fucking brother. Yeah, I'm doing it with you. Let's light it up. Yeah. I just you bring I, the gasoline. I got the matches, bitch. I'm, I just love that mentality so much. And when I first heard him say it, I looked, I was like, what does that mean? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's cool. So for anyone yeah. that doesn't know what burn the boats means, essentially it means when you like you sail, like you sail into a to a war or whatever, and then you turn around and you burn burn your boat, so you have no way of retreating. The only way is forward. It's either yeah, you move forward or you die. Yeah, there's no way out. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Cool. So, um, anything more that you wanted to add to the active, passive range of motion discussion before we move on to something a little bit different? No, I think I covered everything again, like a bit of a recap. It's just like active range is range that you can control where muscle tension is still active. Mm -hmm. And passive range of motion is range you can't control where you lose tension on fibers and you drop into passive structures. Don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. Yeah, you will hurt yourself. And it's just, it's not as effective as what you think it is. If you're talking about accessories and you're using well, your accessories for hypertrophy, Taking the joint through an entire its entire range of motion is not necessarily going to get you the result that you want. You, well, there's a big difference muscle. between joint range of motion and muscle range of motion. Yeah. And again, like one of the main drivers of hypertrophy is muscle, like tension on muscles, okay, muscle tension. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if you're losing that tension, you're pissing away any chance of creating damage to those fibers which is going to create tension and that's going to cause that hypertrophy effect that we're after so it's like again it's the whole cliche thing of someone like oh well i'm doing i'm doing eight to twelve reps for hypertrophy but if you can only maintain that tension to five you may as well just do a set of five mm -hmm. again not that i'm encouraging powerlifters to continue to do low reps but it might also be a matter of like work with a lighter weight where you can actually keep tension on it. Like, for example, when I do bicep work, like if I'm doing like a high cable bicep curl, I'll curl to here and then I'm only going to extend to probably about there. Because mm -hmm. if I go to there, yeah, my elbow is extended, but mm -hmm. I just lost all that tension on my bicep. Whereas if I curl to here yeah. and then I come back out to there, it's like, oh, there's still so much dirty tension on that bicep. So by the time I finish a set of 12, I'm like, oh my God, like my arm feels like I've been fucking punched. Yeah. And I but think like, this, I think this is on. where I think this is where um powerlifters could take a lot out of the bodybuilders book. I Fuck mean yeah. like we know that muscle makes you more muscle makes you stronger, right? Contrary to what I read in someone's Instagram comments the other day. <laughs> which I don't think I said that to you, but that was fantastic. Being bigger and more muscle, more musculature is going to make you stronger, okay? So if the goal is to build muscle, who does that the best? 
Or who does that the most? Sportbills. Sportbills. It's like their entire sport. That's literally all they do is build like, muscle and then not eat. Like that's it. One of their poses is called most muscular. Yeah. Like their entire sport is spending half the year eating as much as possible to build as much muscle as possible and then spending the other half a year eating oxygen so that they get so skinny that you can see the muscle. Like, that's it. That's all they do. Mm, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> so, please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> if that's all they do, why, why are we not looking to them and watching how they train? And when you do, you'll notice a lot of their movements look like it's not full range. It's full range of the muscle, not the joint. Yeah. They keep active tension on the on those fibers the entire set. Um yeah. to the point where even like some of their some of those movements look like their range of motion is just dog shit, but it's like it's not. That's the full range of that of that particular muscle. Yeah. Um like rear delts is a good one that, that really like highlights that. Like the the active range of a rear delt is pretty short yeah and if you do like rear delt flies or or something like properly it's gonna look like you're half-assing your reps yeah but yeah i think that's a really good one to highlight it because most people fuck those up agreed actually the rear delt um video that i use a lot for chest supported rear delt flies is um one of jordan's very early videos same. <laughs> is it the one where he's on like it's like another guy and Jordan's like the demo guy and it's like on green grass? Yeah. Yeah, that's a sick video. And you hey. see his back just like fold yeah. over and you're like, how does anyone have that much back? Yeah, that video is from like seven years ago. Yeah. Right. I've been using it for a very long time. Over for about seven years. Yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. much. It's a great video. Yeah. I tried to recreate it myself, but it's just that, it, that's perfect. I just use that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, um, I think we've kind of moved on to accessories. I feel like as a whole and a very general statement, I feel like powerlifters could train their accessories a little bit better. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I feel like a lot of powerlifters sandbag their, their accessories so they can sit there like, oh, I've done my accessories. Yeah, I feel like I see... Some do. I see a few different things happening. Yeah, well, of course. And like, if you train your accessories properly, you, you, you're going to know that we're not talking about you, so don't worry. If you don't and you get triggered, like we probably are talking about you. And so like maybe just try to Yeah, maybe maybe change some things up and you won't get triggered. But if you train them properly, you're gonna know and you're gonna know we're not talking to you. So shut the fuck up. What I see a lot happening is a few things. Either going really, 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 really hard on your main movements, and then just like fuck arsing about in accessories going way too light like to the point where it's almost like you may as well not even bother or i see trying trying really really hard 
in accessories and maybe going like too heavy and just like using a lot of momentum. Oh, I got the thumb back. Using a lot of momentum um, and like kind of treating it a little bit like a main lift where it's it's more just about like how much can I lift instead of how am I lifting it? Yeah. I think so, they're probably the two things that I see happen the most. So, I mean, like the way that I will kind of always look at programming is like main lift, accessory lift to help facilitate the changes that we're looking for here. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like let's say we've got a bench. This one here might be like a tempo bench or something. Mm -hmm. And then I'm probably going to work with a similar-ish variation, but where I can train output a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that might be like... A machine press? Well, I'm more likely to probably go something like a dip. A dip's a great one. A dumbbell press? The dip, I was, I was, like I was thinking like pure output, but all, all of them would work. But again, like, as you said, like, I think there's also a higher value in terms of running phases where more machine-based training is utilized so that you can actually gauge a proper understanding of going, how can I actually train hard to the point where like, so I did lap pull down today, right? There's the last two reps where like, I sort of get to here and you can see me like really struggling to get this last little bit of range. And so I'm here, but I'm shaking so, because I'm trying to pull down so hard. And so I've gotten to the, the final point that I'm going to be able to get to. Mm -hmm. But yeah. a lot of people are going to go, oh, that's getting a little bit hard. Yep, that's me done. The moment they hit a hard rep, they're just like, Stop. Thank you very much. I've I've reached that point where it's it's getting a little bit turbulent. Whereas I feel like when you look at like the biggest and the strongest powerlifters, a lot of them will get to that point on their accessories and they're like, "Cool, now my set starts." Yeah. And that's when like though they squeeze those because again, like main work, it's like cool. We need to be a little bit more thought out with the load recommendation there for the accessory work to help facilitate the changes here. We need to still be a little bit mindful of load use here, but then like the stuff that we're doing here, which is to help strengthen those muscles that will help facilitate these things here, train them fucking hard. And sometimes that means going onto a machine and like headphones on, close your eyes, put on some sad cowboy music, remember the girl that broke your heart and go, I'm going to hurt myself, not in like a, a torn shit, but like, like I'm going into this set to like hurt slash heal a part of my soul. Yeah. I see, okay, this is another massive generalization, but I think that's a pretty good conversational point. I see it a lot more in younger lifters that are potentially like, getting into lifting now because powerlifting's getting a, a growing profile on social media, etc. Um yep. they're coming into powerlifting because it's it's a it's a trendy thing to do at the moment. Squat bench and deadlift is is what they're gonna focus on. Whereas 
then they go and their accessories maybe aren't trained as hard. I think the, the older guys or the older generation that grew up where it was like, we want to be, we want to look like we lift as well as actually lift. And we knew that that happened by training really hard. Yeah. And so what I see a lot is a lot of the people that come from bodybuilding to powerlifting or from a bodybuilding-esque style of training or from an older generation where it was like more hard work than anything else, those people tend to really push their accessories hard. Like Do they M, know how to train. Like M, for example, pushes coming from a bodybuilding background, can push her accessories like ridiculously hard and does every day. I mean, she was on the um, 45 degree back extension just the other day, doing sets of 20, jumped off straight after her was a super heavyweight strongman who's six weeks out from competition, jumped on and did 20 kilos more than a 62 kilo female. <laughs> yeah. But like <laughs> you, you get a girl who's competed in like any sort of bodybuilding, like they will train posterior chain like a fucking savage. Like an animal. Yeah. Yeah. But I just think it's valuable. I mean hundred percent. I, I agree. Yeah. Output and accessories is is um where it's at. Yeah. Um cool. We're gonna cover some beds. Yes. Do you want to do the tested feds? I mean, obviously, RIP fucking APU. <laughs> so the new one's APA. Yeah. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they take up a world affiliation or not. Um, is that, I feel like that's always going to be the draw card for a tested federation is is there potential to compete at a world level? Well, like, a APA is IPF affiliated. They do have the affiliation? Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's, I mean, that will replace APU, I imagine. Yeah. But obviously, if we're looking at the main tested feds in Australia, we've got, like, say, USAPL, mm -hmm. APU, and APL. Yeah. And APL it kind of crosses both. It exists. But, I mean, like, burn that shit to the ground. What's that, um, sorry? Powerless in Australia. Oh, does that still exist? Apparently. Jesus. Who's living yeah. there? No one. <laughs> <laughs> so they just exist on paper. Probably. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, it's always really interesting as well, like seeing how different feds operate in different states. Like I know before APU lost the IPF affiliation or like got rid of it or whatever they did. Like in Victoria, USAPL went off like fucking wildfire. Yeah, it got popular, like, didn't it? It literally it took over the, the test and powerlifting scene like nothing I've ever seen before. But my my understanding was in New South Wales APU was like the main test event. Not even close. Yeah, APU was APU by far. Yeah, whereas, like, 
the only lifters that were still competing in APU here in Vic were ones that were like, I'm trying to qualify for Worlds. That's the only reason I'm still here. Yeah, and I think like, that that was, you know, pretty much everyone that was competing in APU, but and and now yeah. with the APA, same thing. Yeah, so I mean, I'll be really interested to see how APA navigates the the environment and the like, frankly, the tumultuous nature of tested powerlifting in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think APL is a fed to sort of keep your eye on because I think they are, as a whole, I think they're doing some really wonderful things for powerlifting. Again, just for clarity, like I'm not affiliated with any one federation. Like I will coach clients in any federation that allow me to coach in multiple feds because like, you know, any, like for example, I copped a band from fucking APU. Mm. For coaching in another fed. There's a tested fed. (laughs) I had... So I had one of my girls compete at APU Nationals, and then like a week or two later, I had one of my girls compete at IPL Worlds. Mm-hmm. And then I got an email a couple of weeks after that, and they were like, "Oh, we've have, we've received evidence that you've been at another federation's international slash national event without written permission from us." Which, again, to be fair, is horrible. But they're like. As such, we're banning you from being at any national competition for 12 months. I'm like, what? <laughs> Again, it's their rule book, so like, I wasn't entirely surprised. But I'm like, one, who the fuck dogged me in? <laughs> yeah, well. Two, it's not like I'm going... Well, I've got you know one person that I'm gonna I'm gonna coach in this fed who we say is natty, and then I trained a bunch of test like untested lifters in, in these feds, but she's my only natty lifter. And so just trust me, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. She's natty. It's like yeah, yeah I'm coaching someone, but like I'm going, I'm coaching in a tested fed here, and then I'm coaching in a tested fed here. It doesn't harm the sport. No. And this is the thing that's always given me the shit about powerlifting is politics. Hmm. Is like, this is, this is one thing that I reckon would be so fucking cool if Australia or anywhere in the world adopted this. But I'll use Australia as an example. Is like, let's say we're like, like, you know, at GPC, how they like, they have the winning state. Yeah. Why don't they do, hey, we've got Australia's tested nationals. We have Australia's untested nationals. We have a winning Fed. That would be cool. But do you know why they're not going to do that? Because the lower Feds are going to go, well, if we get ranked in terms of which federation has the best competitors, the best competitors from our federation are going to go to your federation, and we're going to lose our athletes. Yeah, but it would make it would make powerlifting better. It's a great idea. But I think it would be a great way to go because again, like when you get people who are like, "Oh, I set the 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 Masters M nineteen sub senior junior fucking three lift squat record in my time zone world record." 
it's like, bro, like if you're setting a world record, it's a world record for like this tested federation. It shouldn't be all these crappy subcategories. Heaps of filters. But yeah, but I'm like, if you just went, we've got tested nationals, we've got untested nationals, cool. In tested nationals, we've got X amount of teams from USAPL competing. We've got X amount of teams from uh, APU. We've got X amount of teams from APL. We've got X amount of teams from APA. What we're going to do is we're going to use the same dot system that we use to determine the best overall male lifter and the best overall female lifter. We're going to, you know, take the overall dots from from all the lifters in the feds and we're going to work on an average. Yeah. And then we're going to rank the feds. So, like, we're still going to have, like, our, you know, 90 kilo or 93 or 94, whatever weight class that the test feds have and go, We've still got our 94 kilo. Let, let's just go and say, you know, 120 kilo national champion is you know, such and such from New South Wales. He competes with APU. Mm-hmm. So we know that the best 120 kilo lifter in Australia is an APU lifter. Yeah. The second best 120 kilo lifter is a USAPL lifter. And then third, fourth, and fifth are all from APL. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way to then be able to go. Well, with federations, like with them, APU might sit there and go, cool, we have phenomenal, like heavier weight lifters across yeah. the board, male or female, but our lightweight powers just don't cut it. Mm-hmm. Or we just don't have any. And then USAPL may be like, oh, well, we have, you know, the top 10 67.5 kilo male lifters in the country and the top four 67.5 kilo female lifters in the country. But we don't have any good top tier lifters. Again, I'm not saying that they don't, but like just for yeah, example, just for sake. example, yeah. Um, and then do the same with the with the untested feds as well. And go like, you know, we've got GPC, we've got WRPF, we've got Capo, like all of these different feds. I'll probably miss a few and all that sort of shit, but like whatever it ends up being, or like APL as well, having their untested division as well. Mm-hmm. But it's like sit there and go, let's rank all the lifters so that all the federations because again if and again the only people that would have issue with this are probably going to be coaches but if it was like cool all of the federations have their competition calendar set out for the year so that they all align with a national championship that's going to be run at the same time every single year so we can figure out who our best lifters are because then realistically regardless of which federation has an IPF affiliation we should then, as a country, be able to go, hey, cool, we're going to take our, our best lifters from these federations because they're all tested. And this yeah. is the whole thing of, like, regardless of whether it's IPF or whether, again, if this was adopted globally, then we could go, we're having our tested world event. Fuck the IPF. Fuck whatever world federation you're trying to build. This is every single tested federation under one banner Yeah, that is then going to then go, well, the best tested federation globally is this federation. The best tested country in the world is this country. And this guy won. And this guy won and he's from this country. Yeah. Like, again, not to fucking like pat myself on the back, but I think that would be pretty fucking cool. That would because be cool. Or a lot of the politics would get removed because everyone's working for a collective. When everyone goes, nah, fuck you, we're going to disperse over here and we have... 1600 different federations with 32 million thousand fucking 
subcategories that people can set world records under, it loses the value. Whereas if someone just goes, I've set the 100 kilo men's world record for the squat in sleeves or in wraps, that should be the only difference. Yeah. And it just gets so confusing for for new lifters too. I feel like just that confusion level is a huge barrier for for entry for a lot of people. I agree. I grew up playing footy and it's like there's one place that you play footy. Like you grow up in Australia, you want to play in the NRL. Like that's that's the only option. It's so funny. Like obviously you growing up in New South Wales and me growing up in Victoria, <laughs> you're like, I'm going to go play footy. I'm like, well, AFL, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, if you, if you play AFL, it's like I want to go play in the AFL, right? And there's yeah. like a clear pathway to do that. It's the same as here. It's like there's a clear pathway. Like we know how to get to the NRL. You just have to enter that pathway and be good enough to make it out the other end. But like, there's no other pathway. Like that's the pathway. And you either are good enough. It is what it is. Yeah. And you're either good enough or you're not. There's no confusion from like six years old. I knew what I needed to do. And then it was just my job to go and do it. Yeah. And I think that that's like super appealing to a lot of people as well. Whereas when you look at powerlifting, you're like, oh, Jesus, I don't even know where to compete. But I feel like though that this is where powerlifting in Australia in particular just shows it's like lack of maturity and lack of congruity as like a as, as a sport. Like when you look at basketball, whether you look at footy, even if you're looking at soccer, like there's a lot of kids that play these sports. There's mm-hmm. not as many adults, but it's heavily ingrained in like when you're growing up as a kid, you'll go play basketball, you might go play footy, you might go play cricket, like whatever you play. And then like generally speaking, as people get older, they either really pursue it really hard or they kind of like drop off and find something else. Yeah, or become fans. Yeah. Whereas like I think with powerlifting, like you don't see it being a a sport that kids play growing up. Whereas I feel like because it's in a bit of a different realm where it's like, as people kind of step into adulthood in different stages of adulthood as well is when they find powerlifting. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, sports like basketball, cricket, footy, whatever. It's like, these are childhood sports that the older you get, the less chance you have of being successful. In. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like with powerlifting, it's like Benjamin Button. Yeah. It's like the older you get, like obviously, like, you know, like, again, like Liz, Liz Craven is a great example. She started her powerlifting career very late in life. Mm-hmm. Like, and she has been incredibly successful. Yep. Absolutely. But how many people would start playing basketball in their 40s and then get drafted into the NBA or into the NBL for, for the lack of, like, for even just like the Australian market? Yeah, Not many. No, no well, none. Yeah. None ever. So that's where I, I kind of go as much as like powerlifting is so different in so many avenues. I think as well, like when people tend to start again, like people might find powerlifting in their teen years from the thing of going, Oh, well I play basketball. I play footy. 
I'm going to do a bit of SMC to support that. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with lifting weights. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Like, I just like, I like you again, like you look at my build, like I'm built very, very well to lift weights. Like I'm, I'm very well suited. My, my structures and my leverages are very, very nicely attuned to going, this man can move weight a lot easier than say like you can with your build. Mm-hmm. Like, but then like, if you were to ask me to go and run a marathon, you'd be like, this, this man is not built for distance. <laughs> and I'm not like even yeah. growing up with my time in track, like I would try and run 400 meters. I didn't have the tank for it. Yeah, but you you were competitive in track. You played a competitive sport. You were competitive in basketball. You played a competitive sport. Do you think that that's what led you to powerlifting as well? Was that there was a competitive aspect to to actually like lifting and it was a performance-based thing? Not really. What led me to powerlifting was unfucking my back. Yeah, actually, you've said that. Yeah. So, like, I was like, oh, I can lift weights and I can do it in a way where my back doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. This is fucking sick. And then I can I can put on some muscle. And again, so why not age, body? So why not bodybuilding? Ah, this is one of our questions for tonight. It's like why I chose powerlifting over bodybuilding. Honestly, and like, I, I really hope I don't piss some people off by saying what I'm about to say. So this is by no means a statement about the sport. This is a statement about my morals and my ethics. How I like to go about everything in life is judging people based on effort, something measurable, not based on how they look. Mm -hmm. For me, like I either squat a weight or I don't squat a weight. It's, I not, either, it's not subjective. It's not, well, I mean, it kind of is, but it shouldn't be. Like we have objective standards yep. of what constitutes a good squat, a good bench press and a good deadlift. For me, like I'm like, I would rather be judged on what I do rather than what I look like. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not me saying like, again, I've got some friends that compete in bodybuilding and they work brutally fucking hard. But what shits me is when they're like, oh, my delts weren't popping enough. I'm like, bro, like (laughs) you're like fucking five or 6% body fat. You're jacked. You look fucking amazing. Is your friend that was spotting you today, does he do bodybuilding? Yeah. Oh my God, he's so jacked. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) It's fucked. Yeah, he's really jacked. I can tell. He had an oversized shirt on. But I could tell he's proper jacked. He is a thick boy. Mm, I could see. That's yeah. I need that shirt. Can you ask him where he got it? I will absolutely ask him. Yeah, I'm the I'm like Triple H's biggest fan. Degeneration nice. X was like my shit, man. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, but like I sit there and I go, like again. I got into powerlifting because I'm like, I like to be strong. I like to eat food. Mm -hmm. And I like to be judged based on 
the direct correlation between the effort I put in and the amount of weight I lift. Mm -hmm. Whereas it really doesn't sit well with me when people look at me and they're like, oh, you're not single digit body fat. You must not be good. Yeah, and it, that doesn't bother some people and it does bother other people. Um, no. And like, again, if someone is like, if someone's like, you know what, I'm quite happy to stand on a stage in a G-string and for someone to scrutinize like every square inch of my body and tell me where I'm still too fat, there are some people that, that they're like, cool, I like that. Again, I'm not taking away from bodybuilding. So like, I think the artistic expression of being able to, like I'm talking like good bodybuilders who can like really make it an absolute, like turn their bodies into a walking piece of art. Mm -hmm. That I'm like, bravo. Yeah. But it just never aligned with me because I'm like, I just the, the the whole thing of being like told, I don't like how you look. Therefore, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna give this person more points. I'm like, oh, I, I don't like that. It just doesn't sit well with you. It doesn't align with my morals and my values. Yeah, I feel like personally, it would actually really hurt my feelings too. I, <laughs> honestly, like it, honestly, I think it, I'm. I know I like come across as a a tough guy or whatever. Probably less so now that I don't have the. The scary caveman beard but yep i feel like if someone told me like i was too fat or something i'll probably get upset i would probably cry yeah I'd be like, like, I'm, an, hey, I'm an emotional man come on man like i'm just it's good for cuddles like that deserves more points not less yeah hey, give, like, me, give me points for cuddles i'll give you points for cuddles <laughs> i think um from me, it was more, um, for me, it was a combination of things, I think. So obviously I grew up um, being competitive in sport and wanting to be as competitive as possible. Yep. Being, I've, I've always been big too. I've always been tall and bigger than everyone else. Yep. The, issue, the issue with that was when I was younger was that, when I, I hadn't developed like physically in terms of like musculature and strength any faster than anyone else, I was just taller, but I was, yeah. I was just lanky and like awkward and I wasn't necessarily any stronger than anyone else. I just had a bigger frame. But when coaches saw like, oh, this dude's like a giant compared to everyone else, I got treated differently I got played like up in ages because I was as big as the guys that were two years older than me. But when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, two years is a fuckload of time in terms of like strength development and, yeah. and aggression and like how you use your body and how you move your body. And I was just getting like, man, pumped. pumped. And because of my attitude where I was just like, straightforward 100 miles an hour and never take a backward step like i was just getting the shit beat out of me constantly yeah. by older guys that were just as big as me 
but way more developed. So that's kind of when I started to really go hard in the gym to try and catch up to those guys in strength. And then obviously like I just would train for performance, train for strength, train to get stronger and faster and hold my own in that sport. And then I, I really only did it to be better at the sport. Like training wasn't my main thing. It was the sport and I just wanted the, yeah. the outcome. And then when I wasn't able to do the sport anymore, I still had the competitive drive, but I didn't have the physical ability to really do a whole lot of anything else other than the gym. Um, and believe it or not, like squatting and deadlifting is actually like really quite gentle on the knees if you do it properly. Um, so even with a really bad knee, I was still able to squat and deadlift a lot and pretty heavy. So I kind of just went down that route. I also really love NFL. And I always wanted to look more like a defensive tackle than a wide receiver. Like I like the, the big scary dudes. Yeah. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to look at, you know, a typical powerlifter build versus like Chris Bumstead, who's wildly popular at the moment. Like I'll, I want to look like Eric Lillybridge, mate, every day of the week. <laughs> like that's my, like that's goals for me. Like I would yeah. take that, I would take that over Bumstead any time of year. Um, and I know that's like a wildly controversial thing to say. I put it on my Instagram and got so much hate, but um, yeah, I, I was just never like, drawn to that aesthetic build like i just wanted to be i just wanted to look like a gorilla which i know mm. i never will because of my my height but i can i can try well i mean you're probably never going to look like that weighing less than like 180 kilos yeah i know and i'm just not willing to weigh 180 kilos because when i weigh that much i can't move yeah <laughs> but that that's how you're going to look like a gorilla you're yeah. already like <laughs> yeah. but i don't want to do that so nah. we've, we've discussed that i like my health too much yeah it's so, it's nice to, to be honest with you it's not even that it's that i love my wife too much because i if i didn't have her i would just do it for sure but it's yeah. more it's more the fact that i want to like be able to go for walks with her and like be around a little bit longer than like 10 more years well i was gonna say like if she wasn't around you push really hard there's like probably a high chance you'd be dead by 50 hundred percent, but I'd be massive and strong. Yeah. But again, like it's all well and good to be massive and strong, but there's no fucking point to it if you're dead. Yeah, that's right. So when you have something to live for, it's changes the discussion a little bit. But I mean, like, it's always like really interesting as well. Like obviously with like the Olympics and shit coming up, when you speak to an Olympian and you're like, would you trade like you winning a gold medal at the Olympics this year? If that meant that in like five or 10 years time that you were dead, they're all like, absolutely. That soon. Yes. That's the level it takes to get to, to that level, isn't it? That's the yeah. But it's it like takes. when you look at what it takes to become an Olympian level, like Olympic level athlete, like, like you talk to most day-to-day -day people and they're just like, Oh, I, I, oh, I don't understand how people would do that. It's like, yeah, that's because, you probably haven't pursued anything at the level required to be the best in the world. No. And if of course you not. have put that much time and energy and effort and sacrifice into that endeavor, 
you would literally lay your life. You'd probably go, hey, if you would win a gold medal and you would be forever remembered as X, Y, and Z, the person that won a gold medal in X, Y, and Z sport, but it meant that you would die within the year. A lot of them are probably still going to say yes. A lot of them would say yes. I wouldn't go that far. There was a point in my life where if you had have told me I could have played NRL from 20, from say, say from 18 years old to 32 and die at 40, I would have been like, fucking sign me up. Yeah. 100%. Like I wouldn't even think twice. If you said play till you're 32 and die at 35, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. Even recently, there would, if you had said to me, you can achieve everything that you want to achieve in powerlifting, uh, but it's going to take 20 years of your life, I would have said, yeah, for sure. I think it's probably only been very recently over the last few months where I've re like evaluated that. And I, I still have this thought where it's like, I'm willing to give up something, but probably will definitely not to the level that I was in the past. And I think that comes with age and maturity. And a shift of priorities. And if you look at most Olympians, they're like 20 years old. Yeah. Right. So like ask them when they're 40, if they're willing to die at 50. That's the thing is like, you know, if you've got people in their twenties or thirties who have like, you know, pursued something to the point where they're at an Olympic level, Generally speaking, their entire life has gotten them to that point. Mm -hmm. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. Like, you look at, like, again, if you take, say, Lasher as an example, it's like the um, Georgian weightlifter, mm -hmm. like the best super heavyweight in the world. When do you think he started lifting weights? It would have been young. It would have been a fucking child. Yeah. But, like, you you look at him, like he's not old. No. But he looks old. But well yeah, his body's been through a lot of stress. A lot of stress. But like you look at what he gets every time that he wins a world championship, every time he wins gold medals, like it's lucrative business for him. Of course. And it is for, it is for all top more most top level athletes uh yeah. are making a living from it in some way. But I think this is where it's very much a responsibility on us as coaches and and uh, more mature people within the, the realm and the sport that we're in is that a lot of these younger people do have that mindset and I don't blame them at all because I certainly did. It wasn't until I was more removed from what I knew that I realized that there was actually more. It's but, these pe these people at that point don't actually know yet what they're what they're saying that they're willing to give up. They don't even know. They're making a trade on something that they're not even aware of yet. 
So I think it's a big responsibility of us to kind of say, I see where you're at and I commend you and I'm willing to help you, but there's more. Like, let's think about a little bit more than what you're thinking about now. I'm older, I'm wiser, I have more experience. I've been where you are and I've come out the other end and I have some valuable advice that I think you should listen to now that you're going to thank me for when you're where I'm at because yeah. I made the mistakes that I don't want you to make. And that's, I think, like a really like awesome thing for, for coaches to be able to get to a point like when they can go, you know, I have made the mistakes. You've hired me to help you get to point B when you're at point A. I'm going to get you to point B without making the same mistakes that I've had to make. Like I had a client. That and I used to and instead, of, instead of it taking six months, it might take 12 months. But what it's also going to do is not sacrifice things on the back end. Yeah. Like I had a client that I was working with um, like just over a year ago or so. And like she was a little, a little bit older than I was, but like got so far down the like obsession rabbit hole with powerlifting where it was like everything that she was doing like had to be conducive to being a better powerlifter. And I'm like, I'm like, take, I'm like, put, let's table powerlifting for a second. Like, what are your values? And a lot of it came back to like, she's like, I really value my family. Like, you know, time with my husband, time with my kids. And there were discussions that we were having in the, the realm of coaching around like weight classes and all that sort of stuff. And like, whether we would potentially like cut down into a weight class that she was just out of, or whether we would just be like, let's have a bit of freedom to like play within this weight class here. And I'm like, you'd like to have dinners with your family. Like you'd like to be able to go out for meals to celebrate birthdays. I'm like, where this competition is, You've got like a lot of birthdays in a really short window. If you're trying to get into this weight class here, that all has to be tabled. Mm. Like, is that something that you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of a, a record? Or do you want to enjoy the sport that you've chosen to pursue? Not have to be like bound by the weird thing of a weight class and just go let's eat let's enjoy our time because again how many hours do people spend in the gym a week doing like appropriate training i'm not talking like total time spent in the gym because people will spend four hours in a gym and be like oh well i trained for four hours today it's like no you probably trained for 40 minutes yeah yeah a couple, couple of hours three four hours, hours total yeah maybe three four yeah how many hours are in a week well, 168 yeah. Cool. You take four hours out of that. Like, that's fuck all of your week. It's a small percentage. Yeah. It's like, if... If, four, if like, four hours out of 168 is the, the balance of priority, it's not really that much of a priority. Yeah, and I could even make the argument that taking a little bit more of a balanced slow and steady approach for a lot of people is probably going to yield greater results in the long run anyway because they're not gonna come in guns blazing sacrifice everything in their life for two years 
get sick of it, get burnt out, go away, never come and compete again, and just this end up hating the sport or, or hating training. Whereas if you and make it a more sustainable approach. You could be you could be doing powerlifting for the next 15, 20 years and you're going to end I, up in a better position at the end of it. I think you just touched on something that's really like prominent at the moment is the whole like burnout with like newer athletes is they'll push really, really hard for like the first two to three years to try and achieve this like imaginary carrot on the stick and when they don't do that, like, fuck, I've just wasted two years of my life, two, three years of my life, whatever it ends up being. Whereas, like, again, like, a, a goal that I have um, that I share quite openly is, like, when I'm 50, I want to be the guy that's in the gym up in the back corner that loads just, like, plate, 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 and is deadlifting, like, mid-200s for reps at 50. And I want people to look at me and go, Who's that grouchy old fucker over in the corner who's just slanging weight around? Like, I mean, well, I'm 33. Like, that means I've got another 17 years of being able to maintain a certain level of strength. Yeah. Like, if I got pissed off at the fact that, like, oh, well, some of my lifts aren't progressing or I'm getting shitty at this and shitty at that, and I go, fuck this sport, I'm done, and then I have a five-year hiatus... And I come back in my late 30s and I go, shit, I have so much ground to try and build. Yeah. You're not this where is you now going to be a lot harder mm -hmm. to try and achieve X, Y, and Z. Whereas if I'm like, hey, look, I'm going to give myself time and actually zoom out and go, well, I can periodize my training over a two-year block. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm fortunate enough that, like, I know someone who's competing in the Olympics and I've been able to look at their programming. It's like their programming is laid out in four year blocks, mm -hmm. like from a macro perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's a four year Olympic cycle. Then there's one year blocks. And then within that one year, we have X, Y, and Z planned out. And you speak to a powerless and like, Oh, 12 weeks. I'm just, I'm just focused on the next 12 weeks. Yeah. And look, that, like you said, that's going to lead to, it does lead to a lot of burnout um, psychologically, but I think it also lent, uh, it leads to a lot of burnout physically. If you think like, I see these young guys coming in and, and even older guys, when I say young guys, obviously, like we touched on before with powerlifting, like young guys is a, a relative term, like young to the sport. Yeah. They come in and, and they're like gung ho, powerlifting's cool. I love powerlifting. I'm going to go all in but I only have this amount of time that I want to, you know, get as best as I possibly can in that amount of time. So instead of doing all of these little extra things that I'm going to do to take care of my body, to take care of my health, that may slow down my progress because it means less lifting um, on that particular day, instead of something taking a year, it might take two years. They're not going to do that because they want to do it in six months. And what ends up happening is they fucking get injured and they break and then they can't do the thing anyway. And then they get pissed off and they never come back. So I, I had this conversation with a girl that I used to work with and be friends with like years and years and years ago, who pretty much had gone like, like I'm all in all my chips on the table and was like all in with bodybuilding. 
And she's like, I will do anything that I have to do to succeed in this. And I was like, look, you know, I I commend the the level of work ethic that you're displaying and all that sort of shit. But I said to her, I'm like, what happens if you can't do this? Like, what happens if you get injured and you can't train? What then? And you know what her response was? Probably kill myself. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, again, like, on one hand, it's great that you've got something that is so important to you that it's like, this is keeping you here. But on the other hand, it's like, we need things. We need, like, again, not, there's only so many things you can put up on the pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. But we need to have like our tier one hobby and pursuit. Then we need to have our tier two pursuits, tier three, tier four, tier five. Like for me, like, I love training. Like it's a massive, 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 massive part of like who I am, my identity, what I love to do in my spare time, what I love to do as part of my job. Like it makes up a lot of me. Mm-hmm. But, like I also love gardening and plant care. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I, you know, God forbid, you know, touch wood, if I tore my pec and they're like, well, you, you can't train because like you're all fucked up and you, you can't get under a bar to, to train legs and you can't, you know, you've got, let's hypothetically say six weeks that you can't train. Mm-hmm. I can still go for my nature walks, which is going to make me really happy. Mm-hmm. I can still use my other arm to do some gardening stuff. Mm-hmm. I can strong arm. Yeah, take my strong hand. <laughs> um, but like, there are other things there that like add p- pieces of the puzzle to the puzzle that is my life. Where it's like, cool, like, I, yeah, a big chunk of chunk of it may be taken away, mm-hmm. but there are still other parts I can fall back onto. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I completely agree with you. But I all, I'm also coming from the standpoint of I I love going all in. Yeah. You you know me, like I am I am a very all-in person. And what I'm what I guess what I'm trying to say is all in doesn't necessarily have to mean all in now. Like being all in and taking a more well-rounded, slower, longevity, long view approach is probably yeah. in a lot of cases going to put you in a better position than trying to do it too quickly. Like be Agreed. all in, but be all in. Like I, I'm not saying don't be all in. I love all in. I fully support all in. Yeah, but I agree. Be, be all in in the right way. What's come, what I've learned through maturity and, and just time and just being a grumpy old man now is that it doesn't always have to be 100 miles an hour and nothing else. The, the best results come through time and the only way that you're going to get through things and stick with them long enough is when you have periods of push and periods of pull, periods of going hard and periods of not going so hard and maybe focusing on a different aspect of training that's going to yield greater results in the overall picture of you as an athlete anyway. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be fucking max effort squats. In fact, that's that's probably the worst thing you could do. But they're fun as shit, but you can't do them all the time. But that's the thing is like a max effort squat is probably not going to build the strength that you need to build 
in order to squat the numbers that you want to squat. I know it's just an example I used, but yeah, yeah. But, it's like, you know, but like, yeah, so like sometimes you have to do sometimes you have to do the shit you don't want to do. Sometimes you have to go and get on the leg press and do some not fun stuff. Sometimes you have to take rest days. Go for a fucking walk. Look after your health. Like do all of the other things. Yeah. Let it take two years instead of six months is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. But I think this like really just comes back to, to like the level of impatience that society has like again fast food everything is here and now now and then whereas the the challenging thing to get people to understand when it comes to powerlifting is it's like it's not an impatient person's game no like it will take time and there needs to be again go all in but understand that you're all in needs to be not a matter of months but a matter of years yeah but and it's like that Zoom for, out. it's like that for pretty much every sport the difference yeah. is that other people start other sports like you said when they're five years old and then they turn pro when they're 20 and it's taken them 15 years of practice and training and building capacity and building skill sets to get there that no yeah. one sees so when you start powerlifting which is even more so a long game because there's no shortcuts and it's very much less skill-based and more physical adaptation-based. You just, you've got to put in the time. Mm. You just have to. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that along with the the um, Olympic coaching um, meso taking four years is a great kind of segue into the the last little kind of topic that we wanted to touch on today of of like the importance of picking a coach and sticking with them yeah so you're saying that your your olympic mate had like a, a four-year block programmed yeah but like like what's the longest client that you've got mm, five years how well do you know them? Very well. Would you say that you know them well enough to know when you know that they're having a good or a bad day without even asking them? I know everything about that person. Yeah. I know How I know literally that that person gets the best of me because I know everything about them. Yeah, I know and how they is... communicate. I know how they show signs of fatigue. I know when they need to push and when they need to pull back. I know when they have things going on in their life without them telling me. I know what I know. Literally everything. I know when I get a message from them. I know what mood they're in just from the way the message reads. Like I know yep. everything. So the and our coaching has taken so many different twists and turns through those five years is that I, I know how their body responds. I know what works and doesn't work. I know where their weaknesses are. I know where their weaknesses used to be. And I know where, but what we've turned into strengths and what we still need to work on. Like I know everything. Yeah. And this is where like, all of us down to like that shit takes time to develop. Yeah. Like if you look at like say relationships, 
what you learn from someone in the first month of knowing them versus the first year of knowing them, fucking opposite ends of the scale. Mm-hmm. What you learn from someone in the first five weeks versus the first five years, different ends of the scale. Mm-hmm. And this is where, like, it's the same with the coaching relationship. Like, I so I used to have these guys, I would train them four times a week for 90-minute sessions. So they, I would see them for six hours a week. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about someone when you see them that much and that frequently. But I would, like, the thing I always come back to is I'm like, like how often do you guys see your friends? And they're like, I don't know, like, once every couple of weeks. I'm like, cool. So I'm like, you see me more than you see your friends. Yeah, way more. Yeah. But again, like there are times when like I would have those guys walk into the gym and I would be like, no, nah, something's off with him today. He's just like, his spark wasn't there or like just how he's like body language, like he might be a little bit more slumped. And it's like, like how's work today? And if he was like, oh, dude, like work was really hard. So I'm like, cool. I'm like, like more so than usual or just like, just a big week. And he's like, nah, like today was like, ah, it's like, I know I'm not going to be fucking pushing him like as hard as I have to. It's like, cool. I might taper it back a little bit. We're like, Hey, look, we're going to work on your weaknesses. Like like I said, like we're going to do a poor squat tonight, which is load limiting. But in terms of like picking a coach and being able to stay with them long-term, things will only get better because as the coach understands their client more, they can preempt shit. Of course. And you only get that with time. You only get that with time. And as well, I think it's important that, like, I mean, it ties perfectly into what we were just talking about is this is not not a quick sport. These, the, the, the sport that we're in or the industry that we're in um, is about obviously building size and strength and, and changing the human body and, and its capabilities. And that takes exposures over time. And it's just not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in 12 weeks. But a lot of the time, it's not even going to happen in 12 months. So by chopping and changing all of the time, all you're doing is you're not giving that coach enough time to program effectively on a long enough timeline to get you the results that you want. And you're robbing yourself of the results that you could have. Like I've worked with, you know, in my my time in this industry, I've had clients I've worked with, you know, for fairly short amounts of time. Like I've literally done like 12 week preps with some people and then at the end of that prep, like, thank you. Like I've gotten what I need to get out of this. Mm-hmm. But then I look at, again, clients I've worked with for like six or seven years. And it's like, oh, like, they're like, you know me better than I know myself when it comes to training. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, especially when we go, you know, we're looking at programming over a year. Because again, like once you've worked with a client for like a couple of years, you can kind of go, hey, this is my plan for you over the next 12 months. Because I know yeah. you're going to be hanging around. Like I've got one of my girls that I've been working with for a couple of years now and her and I, like our, the first week, I mean, like we kind of had this conversation at the end of last year going, cool. Our plan for next year broadly and very and a bit loosely is this. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this through to here. And then once we hit this point, we're going to aim for something around here. 
And then from here to here, that's the one goal. We have our outlines laid out and obviously like everything kind of fluid and free-flowing within that in terms of how we decide to approach it based on external factors. But we've got the framework that we need to sit there and go, cool, we're going to set you up for success because we know what we're doing in two weeks. We know what we're doing in two months. Fuck, like I probably know what I want to be doing with her in two years' time. Mm-hmm. 100%. But, like, again, like I've had other clients that they're like, oh, I want to do this prep with you. We've got 12 weeks. And it's like, there's only so much I can do with someone in that time. Yeah, you're you're but pretty like, you're pretty much just peaking, you know, not 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 peaking, but you're pretty much just expressing the strength that they've already built. You're not you're not going to do a whole lot into it. Generally speaking, just going to be a quick whoop like that. Yeah, you just yeah Whereas, exactly. Again, like, like this client in particular I was talking about before, where like she's been with me for a couple of years. We've gone with through phase where I'm like, for the next six months, we're just going to be doing hypertrophy work. Mm-hmm. We're looking at hypertrophy work capacity and just general strength. No comp spec, you know, no, no reps under like five, like mm-hmm. just training. Yep. To the point where like, then she was like, oh, well, there's a comp in like eight weeks that I kind of want to do or how, whatever time frame was. She's like, Can, will, will we be ready? I'm like, of course we will be. Yeah. So I'm like, you've put the work in. Done the groundwork. You, you've set your baseline, which is what we said we wanted to spend six months doing. I'll, if you want to do something in two weeks, we'll fucking do it in two weeks because you're ready. Yeah, it's just like icing on the cake. But I only know that she's ready because I know, like, and we we had found a really nice system where, also working with female athletes, like thing that we have to like consider as well as like hormones. Mm-hmm. We had synced her training to her cycle because her cycle was super consistent. So we knew that like in her program, like if we worked over four weeks, it was like week one is like an RPE like, like seven, week two is an RPE eight, week three is an RPE nine, week four when RPE six. Mm-hmm. So we printed went like seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight, nine, six. And we ran that for months. Yep. And she was fucking happy. She's like, amazing. Like everything's really tailored to me. We would guide the training and it's like, cool. We've now got this beautiful flow where, like, she can kind of anticipate what I'm going to give her, and I can anticipate the things that she's going to ask for, and what and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, because I know her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, I've got the exact same situation with um, with one of my clients as well, who's been with me for a couple of years, um, with both M and I. And she's yeah. seeing fantastic nutrition results from M because M knows her body and what foods she responds well to and, and what she needs at certain periods of the year based on what her training's doing. And so she's getting fantastic results on that side. And from a strength perspective, like we did the exact same thing. She competed, um, the last time she competed was uh, April last year. So a good good chunk of time ago. Yeah. And then um there we went into like a bit of a just like a general strength block. And then was thinking about doing a another comp late last year. There was an, an injury that came up. And basically 
we just did a massive long extended strength block general strength not powerlifting there was literally like no powerlifting movements in it at all yeah like no comp, comp spec stuff at all for a really long time she's 15 weeks out this week from cheap c new south wales states and she this week will be repping her comp bench from april as her back down sets for five which is fucking sick which is sick natural athlete is 15 kilos lighter than she was in april didn't do bench for like ages and is and like is stronger and that's because she stuck it out followed a long-term plan with long-term goals and didn't try and fucking shove a square object into a circle hole so the the kind of like analogy that i like to to work with like when you first start working with someone whether it's for training whether it's for nutrition it's like you're kind of making like informed guesswork Mm -hmm. when you've been working with someone for a, a long time i'm talking like probably like 18 months plus by that point there it's informed choices like as you said like that client there who's been working with them it's like m knows what food she responds to but in the initial stage it's like she kind of has to do a bit of russian rule and go well you know does she respond better to rice or potatoes does she respond better to this or this and it's kind of like mapping out the the client going do they like even like when we train our clients it's like do they respond better to more like sub max volume across the board or do they respond really well to like one top set and one back off set or do they work well with like two top sets and like four back off sets like how much volume can they handle yeah but we only get that that data and that understanding through trial and error yeah but once you've found that that like once you've found that that like recipe of going I know I can get this person fucking phenomenal results because I have data to support when things move really, really well. It's like, cool. I'm probably going to do a lot more of that. Like yep. sure. There may be other times when you go, Hey, look, we're going to train other training qualities for the next six to eight weeks or six to 10 weeks or however, however long it is because of X, Y, and Z. But the like, again, like, you know, we've spoken about like going through phases, like you come out of a, a powerlifting prep, like let's say you, you finish your national national prep, it's like cool. The next like three to five weeks, there's going to be a little bit more cardio. I'm going to get my blood pressure down. I'm going to get my rest and heart rate into a better better zone. I'm going to do all these things to get me healthy again, so that I can set a better foundation, so that I can set the framework that I need to be able to go up and do this nasty shit up here again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head when you. <laughs> when you kind of outlined it, that it's, it starts off as we have these principles, these overarching principles that we like to use as coaches. I'm going to apply those. I'm going to build your program based on the goals that you have and and the things that you've told me. And we're going to see how that works. And that's just going to start to evolve and become more and more tailored to you over time. And like you said, do you like ramping sets? Do you like top sets, back down sets? Do you like straight sets? Like, what do you like? Do you like tempos as your back downs? Who knows? Like one might work great, but how do you know that the other one might not work better? You don't yeah. until you try it. So 
we have what we think might work. We have what the you know what the evidence supports and and whatnot, and what we have as our, our overarching principles and our coaching philosophy. And then it's a little bit of a trial and error from there. And the longer you stick with your coach, and, and the more of those processes you go through, the more you figure out exactly what works for you as an individual. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny. Um, I, I really like watching Instagram and. And <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me. I like watching. I'm roll my eyes. I like watching Instagram, and I like, I like watching. So, like, Instagram people on Instagram, right? Like the people that do Instagram really well. Yeah, it's a, it's a calculated persona, or it's calculated content that they're putting out to paint a picture of what exactly what they want you to see and what they want you to think and feel on a certain topic, whether it be them or their business or whatever it is, right? Like if it's a business or, or a personality on Instagram, that's not just like a, a school mum putting up photos of like the garden or whatever, it's a calculated picture that they're painting and they're, they're trying to get a certain response from you. And I love, um, seeing like the guys death grip Derek is one of my favorites and like his persona is just like fuck you you're all idiots and I'm like the best kind in the world like that's this like persona that he's painted and I just love it because <laughs> I love he, his content oh man it's so good but people like I'm not sure if I just I honestly believe that people just don't get it and they just really like take it like hook line and sinker they do because they're idiots. <laughs> because you know, obviously he's a fantastic power lifter. Yeah. <laughs> extremely strong, very gifted, jacked out the wazoo. Like I'm so jealous. But anyway, he has he, a fantastic mustache too. Oh my god. And he had the best hair. I'm so gutted that he shaved it. But anyway, I I love long hair on dudes is kind of like my thing. So he <laughs> He had he had great long hair and then he shaved it. But anyway, he um he went into like an off season or an extended off season, right, where he hasn't competed for a while, and he kept saying like, "I'm retired from powerlifting. Powerlifting's for pussies. I'm just training. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing general strength training just to get stronger." And I was like, he came back and pulled nine hundred, <laughs> and then he's like. <laughs> And then everyone's just like, ah, oh, you'll be back. And he's like, nah, fuck powerlifting, powerlifting for pussies. I'm just going to train to get strong, which is like obviously just an off season. And then um, he like came back and I think he squatted and pulled PRs. And then he was like, ah, oh, must be something to this powerlifting. I'm going to get back <laughs> into it. <laughs> yeah. Might be, start to might be time to start powerlifting again. His persona is so fucking funny though. And then everyone's like, ah, oh, I told you you would be back. And I'm like, dude, he was always coming back. He was just like in an off-season. Taking the piss. Taking the piss. Yeah. And you guys just, oh, man, it's hilarious. But like even that, just like saying I'm just training to get stronger is perfect. I don't know what just happened. The lights went out, man. Yeah. Um, there we go. Yeah, just training to get stronger. Well, I mean, like, fuck, that's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, and I bet you, I bet you, if you decide that you ever want to compete again, 
probably going to be in a better position to do so and you're probably going to be stronger on the platform. Well, so again, like my all-time goals that I have natty is 260 in sleeves, 300 in wraps, 175 bench, and a 300 dead. Nice. If I can do that at a, under 100 kilos drug-free, mm -hmm. and I can put that all together on the day, that would give me like a 60 kilo PR. Mm -hmm. I don't think the, those. I don't think those numbers are unreasonable for you at all. I don't think they are either. Like the bench isn't that far off. I don't think. My dead. I reckon that's like maybe not right now, but if you went back 10, 12 weeks ago, before like my back sort of went a bit like it was. I mean, like I pulled two eighty beltless pretty comfortably like you know it puts me in a pretty good position to be within like striking distance of three mm -hmm. um the squat is the only one that would just take a lot of work at the moment but i genuinely think that like the potential to do it is there i think so too especially considering like you're nowhere near peaked i think oh, God, no. I, nowhere near yeah. You're going to get a lot out of just a good peaking block too. Like the fact that I can pretty much come in and bench a ninety percent single when I feel detrained. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, give I me mean, a good you, run. If you look back from where you started your previous preps to where you finished your previous preps, you're in a much better starting position now. It's kind it's of like so much better. Yeah, so it's, it would be pretty interesting to see where a prep finished with with this starting position. Yeah, my thing is like I would just need to find a good enough why to want to put myself through a prep again. Mm. Because the, could, the beauty of doing the same going, doing the same comp as me would be pretty fun. It'd be fun, but. I also wouldn't like. I would say, like, I'm going there to have fun. I'm not. I'm not going there to like do something special. Whereas, if like, again, like, you know, if down the track I decide to jump on the go 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 juice, mm -hmm. and I get to a point where I'm like, fuck, like I'm getting pretty strong here. Mm -hmm. I might try and chase for X, Y, and Z. Then maybe that would be enough of an incentive to be like, yeah, like A, let's take some go-go juice and B, <laughs> let's really utilize it. Yeah, let's see what we can do. But I also see that I go, if I could go like mid-sevens natty, like that's not bad. That's very like, cool. Again, like I think like obviously if we're looking at it from like a world perspective, yeah, mid sevens is like that's that's nice, but I also look at it from the perspective of going, do I am I really doing this to be the best in the world? No, no, you're just doing it to be the best you. Yeah, and I'm like, if I could go, like I 
the day I pull 300, because, and I say the day I pull 300 because I'm absolutely 100% convinced I'm going to pull 300. You will. The day that I pulled that is like, it's going to be special. It, yeah, it is. It's a nice number for everyone. Yeah. And the day that I squat 300, like, that's going to be special. Mm-hmm. The day that I bench three reds is going to be special. Mm-hmm. The day that I bench four blues is going to be special. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's, I've, they're such cool landmarks to look at, aren't they? And like, I feel like, we brush over them sometimes. Well, I know I did brushed over yeah. them because it was just in the the pursuit of more um, and being surrounded by so many strong people that you get so jaded as to what actually is good. Like I, so- pulled, I pulled 300 for the first time ever as my third pull at, at a competition in which the heaviest deadlift I did that entire prep was a 280 absolute disgustingly hard grinder. Like so much so that I did I did that three weeks out. It was such an ugly grind that I had to fight so hard for that um, Will was like, ooh, that was a bit hard. I'm going to deload your deadlift for the next two weeks. And then turned up at the comp, pulled 300, just like literally like it really wasn't even that hard. And I was not even happy that I did so. I was annoyed that I didn't win. (laughs) I was like, ah, this is not even cool. I didn't win. I still like, so... I think it was Pro Raw 11 was the first time I totaled over 700. Now, I remember I'd been chasing a 700 total for like the four or five comps, or however many comps prior to that. And I remember when I was going out for my second deadlift, Marcos was commenting, like it was like commentating, and he was like, you know, if Ben's successful in this lift, like this will lock in his first 700 kilo total, which he has been chasing for years. And I'm like, can't, like, way to put more pressure on me than I've already put on myself. Now everyone knows. <laughs> but then, like, again, like, this is at a time when, like, powerlifting for me was, it was a big part of, of what, who I was, what I did, and all that sort of shit. And I remember, like, I was standing, so it was, I had to pull 280 on my second. I opened like 265 and 265. Five and slow. 280 for a second. And I was like, yep, if I hit 280, it's a comp PB, but it locks in 705. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to take 275 because I'm like, I want more. But like, you see me like after I do it, I put it down on the ground and I look up and I get wise. I'm just like, <laughs> I was fucking pumped. You're stoked, yeah. But I'm also like, everything that I had left in my system went into that deadlift. I think it's funny looking back at moments like that. I had um, at that same comp, I did the whole prep in wraps. The whole prep. I remember this. I remember you telling me. I made you go to the comp. 
Yeah, Sorry. and then I did that whole prep in wraps. And then after I did my last squat, so it was like four days out from the comp, I did my first, my last like little squats at the start of the week. Four days out from the comp, they emailed out like the rules and it said no, no wraps. I was like, oh, what the fuck? Like I've done this entire, every squat I've done in this prep has been in wraps. Like every squat. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty like, I was pretty worried about it because I hadn't done any sleeve squats. And I see like with my knee being a bit sketchy, like I was like, oh, do I pull out? Do I just like, I don't know what to do. And we undenied about it. And I decided just to go there and just yeet it. And I ended up, um, it was pretty funny, like before the, the third squat, my first two were like really pretty nice and I was like oh this squatting in sleeves thing isn't too bad so I was like standing on the side of the platform my mate was with me he was handling me on the day and um he's from Sydney and done a few comps around the place and also sitting on the side of the platform was Vassar and he's just like sitting there just like being Vassar and my mate is mates with him and so they were having a chat and then my mate's like, all right, mate, you're up next. Like chalk on my back and stuff. And he's like, you feel like you're feeling good about this? I was like, yeah. And this was like a massive sleeved PR for me. It was actually 10 kilos less than the heaviest rap squat I did all prep. Yeah. So it, was like, it was like up there, right? It's 260. And um, and he looked at me and he was like, just the like platforms ready. And he's like, all right, mate, you're up. Just remember Vassar can bench this. <laughs> that, like, that was the last thing he said to me. And Vassar like fucking pissed himself laughing and was like, yeah, yeah, I can. And I just walked out and I was like, oh shit, this is not yeah. even that good. But like, yeah, that was the last thing that he said to me before I went and squatted. And then I, I was like, well, I, I have to squat it now. But and like, then- that's, I think, a great example of like, if you were to walk down, like, like again, you walk you walk into like a world gym, and you interview every member there. Like, is a two hundred and sixty kilo squat in sleeves big? Ninety nine percent of people are gonna be like, "Fuck yeah, that's huge." Yeah, but we've chosen to engross ourselves in a sport where we're like, "Oh, two sixty, that's that's big." If it's a bench, yeah, exactly. If you're doing it with your arms, not your legs, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm doing an upper body squat. Yeah. But, you know, like, I, again, I, I don't know if you saw there was a video of um, Jamal Browner that came out of some other guy from, I think, like Russia or some shit like that, where they were talking about doing, I think, 370 for an AMRAP. And Jamal being Jamal was like, well, fuck it, let's just do four, 400. And I think he pulled his first rep conventional and then did like another six sumo. I'm like, Imagine pulling 400 for a set of seven. Yeah, it's it's just so freaky. But I think there's a good lesson in this conversation is that this sport and and especially now with Instagram and, and TikTok being so accessible and everyone's lifts being so accessible, you can see the best in the world, the best in the country at, at the tip of your fingers. Yeah, it's so easy to compare yourself and be like, "Oh, well, 
I'm not strong or, you know, my 260 squatting sleeves isn't that strong because, you know, a fella down the road who's 90 kilos can do it for a set of 10. Who gives a fuck? If it's good for you, it's good for you and everyone's on their own journey. And I think that's something that can get lost. The, the deeper you get into powerlifting and strength sports is like, there is some really fucking strong people out there. And what you're going to see on a daily basis is really going to warp your perception of what's good. But it is it is really valuable, I think, sometimes to take a step back and look where you've come from and look at how strong you actually are to just normal people, not these freaks that we see every day. Yeah. Because it can make you feel like absolute garbage when you're actually in the doing top really well. Doing really well and you're probably in the top percentage of strong people on the planet. Yeah. You're just hanging out with the other top percentage of strong people on the planet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it doesn't make you feel that good sometimes. But I think it's important to to really have a look at that and take mm. note of where you're at. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, really good place to wrap up for time. Yeah, I think let's finish it on a positive note. You guys are all great and you're doing really well. Keep it up. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Except you, Ben. You're a piece of shit. Fuck you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys later. Talk soon. See you guys.